I'm from Canada water. Dick Poop. and soul of this band. You shouldn't come around here and see her like this. Get the fuck off of me. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that is taking our easel up to the roof to paint. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my Acre Girl, Chris File. Hello, Chris. <laughs> What's okay. your Acre Girl name? Your name is like Chrissy Chaos. I mean, if, I, if we're keeping Chris, it's like... Chaotic Chris. Yes. Chris. Cutie Chris. <laughs> Christopher Crud. Um, it's usually something like <laughs> Listeners, nasty, right? comment it's below. Like, yeah, comment below. What are our Acre Girls names? What are our uh, Riot Girl names? Um, welcome, listeners, to the 250th episode of This Had Oscar Buzz. It may sound a little different in your ears, as you have heard. Um, how exciting. How exciting. Brand new theme music. Chris. We've been very excited to premiere our new theme music. We know that everybody through 250 episodes has come to love and associate us with the hot chocolate uh, opening that we have had thus far. Um, it is very much uh, not original music, though, and we have for quite a while been sort of saying between the two of us, like, we need to, like get into something uh more or custom fit for us if only so we're like eventually spotify's going to get mad at us and turns out spotify might be getting mad at us we had um, we've we've had enough people on our twitter in our twitter mentions being like just heard that this had oscar buzz theme song on such and such show or at congratulations Target, or like, and it's like you are so sweet um we love you but like that is, we cannot take credit for everyone's a winner a hit song from the 70s that is, that is also in multiple films not just 80 for brady but francis ha uh-huh um, that's why we put it in there because francis ha because we're such big fans of francis ha i do um, love that hot chocolate is this had oscar buzz canon though well um, and listen everyone's a winner is a statement that uh defines this podcast i think pretty well exactly. so that has been a theme song that has served us well and uh we want to expressly throw our endless gratitude to the great taylor cole for whipping us up something really fun and snazzy and rad for our new theme song we love it uh so thank you taylor uh you might be hearing more from taylor soon yes thank you to cheryl boone isaacs for joining the this had oscar buzz family as well with the dick poop sound drop so <laughs> that was taylor's idea that was not our idea that was taylor's idea and it was gorgeous so you know um, hot chocolate is this had oscar buzz canon and now taylor cole is uh this had oscar buzz that's canon, true so that's true we have nothing but gratitude. So we if hope you hear you all love this theme song in 80 for Brady part two, 81 for Brady, <laughs> then then you can at us and at Taylor and just be like, well, we just heard the this at Oscar Buzz theme song. Because... Listen, uh, there will be an 80 for Brady sequel, except it will be the two of us and two other uh, homosexuals. It'll be yes. Gady for Brady. <laughs> 
and we're going to see Katie Rich in uh, in North Carolina. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> fantastic. Katie um, for Katie. Yes, it's uh, all the gay people that love Katie Rich. It'll be more than four of us, but yeah, it'll be a lot of us. It'll be a whole. It'll be like the Field of Dreams lineup of cars, just like going all the way down the highway, all the way through. Uh, the prairie lands we love the new theme music we hope you all love it too uh yes. it, it will hopefully give you something all to bop along to before you listen to multiple hours of our uh mess speaking of mess speaking today is my mess. birthday christopher file it is my birthday today today is my birthday not the day of airing but the day of recording the day we are recording it's funny we, co- we recorded uh on my birthday last year, because we recorded our Mermaids episode on my birthday, and now we are recording uh, our 250th episode. Uh, quite accidentally, this was not the original plan as of like a week and a half ago, so we kind of... We've, uh, we've got a lot going on. ...moved things around, and suddenly 250 landed on Chris's birthday, which is quite the fortuitous occasion. He's finally able to drink legally, so we're very, very happy for Chris. <laughs> Speaking Tw- of drink legally, uh, I'm bringing... Manus, chaos, and confusion um, throughout this whole episode because uh, my birthday, we've been pushing stuff back. I am coming fresh from brunch with my sister and my grandmother, and our br- the brunch spot we went to, they were like, oh, happy birthday. You get a free shot. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's speaking my grandmother's language. She was like, oh, well, then we have to order some as well. Oh, my God. Um, I love it. Wait, shots of... Uh, oh, poison? It, it wasn't like just tequila. It was like they had their own special. Oh, their little shots. house blend. I got whatever. the one that was not like French toast, whatever. Right. Um, I got one that was like vodka and lime. It basically tasted like a margarita, but with vodka, so not as like margarita ish. It was fine. It was. Delicious. I was just watching. Uh, I rewatched Trixie Motel for an article that I was writing recently, and uh, the episode where. Uh, they're trying to figure out what the signature drink of the Trixie Motel will be. And the one is she like a pink squirrel, and the one is whatever. And the one is essentially just like a vodka and soda with a splash of cranberry, which is like not proprietary cocktail. Like that is just a vodka <laughs> and soda with a splash of cranberry. But she calls it a skinny legend. And then she's like, which would it be? Would it be this one or this one or the skinny legend? I'm like, of course you're going to choose the skinny legend. Like marketing uh, rules the day. Um but I, I I always think of that when I think of like signature branded cocktails. It's like there's only a few flavor combinations in in cocktail making uh, under right. the sea. So I know there are people who get paid to like fucking fakey fake Tom Sandoval their way through. Like I am a mixologist. I'm like okay, sure, diva. Um, <laughs> if you're gonna bring up anything about that show i'm glad you bring up that moment because it is a very aspirational program and i think there is nothing more aspirational in this life than getting wasted with jada essence hall well yes that is yeah uh very true there's a lot of aspirational stuff in that i would i too would like to um swing a sledgehammer with nicole Byer at things like that just sounds like fun <laughs> that just sounds like a fun afternoon um very fun show trixie motel i would love to stay there if i made uh twice as much money as i currently make right now at the very I least mean, like I, I it's mean. a pricey it's a pricey stay um God love Palm Springs. Anyway, of course Chris, we're getting we're already getting diverted when we have us even more to get through yeah, in this yeah, episode yeah. than you think we do, listeners, mm. because we're here to talking about a movie that if you've listened to us for long enough, you know this is 
a movie we both very, very much love. We saw together, so it's like Joe mm-hmm. and Chris go to a movie together. Canon, yeah. Uh, the like small list of movies that we've seen. Three hundred is going to have to be Ben is back. I feel like I feel like if we're going to keep along this line of uh, of tradition, then three hundred is going to have to be our Ben is yeah, back episode. Yeah, we might have to. Yeah. Um, uh, there's that. We also have to, you know, recap the past year. We're going to be giving out some awards. Awards. As we usually do. Um, last year, we made it even more chaotic, and we said from now on, we will have, what, six supporting actress categories. And yeah, we've just, boxed ourselves into that nightmare now every 50 episodes that I got to come up with. All right. Okay. Uh, and then we got uh, some more business to uh, discuss. We got some business. All right. We should do, actually, that business right up here, close to the top, because we know that sometimes we have a long episode, and we don't want to make people go two and a half hours deep before we uh, make our big announcement. And it's a pretty big announcement, I would say. It's an announcement th- that is... Um, this is the season for giving. A long time coming. This is the season for giving from us to you and from you to us. We're going to be exchanging gifts is what we're going to do. Almost as if it is a uh, business transaction. Um, we're launching a Patreon, everybody. We're finally doing it. We're finally doing it. At long last, uh, we've decided to uh, to finally launch a Patreon for our listeners. This is both... Um, because we would like to uh, start supporting our podcasting endeavors more than we currently do at the figure of zero dollars that we are currently making <laughs> for this podcast. We would like to, um, uh, you know, we we put a decent amount of effort into putting this podcast out and we love doing it and we love um, hearing from the listeners. And I feel like now is the time to join all of our wonderful podcasting friends in their Patreon endeavors. And we know there are a lot of Patreons out there to support. We know there is a, um, it's a competitive podcasting market, but, um, should you decide that you want even more from us in a given month, we highly encourage you to go check out our Patreon and sign up uh, because we are going to be offering some additional content. Should we tell them what the name is? I love the name of it. Go we for were it. a little Go bit. For it. it is your name. We are. We were a little bit like. We spent a good evening trying, like, batting back and forth suggestions. We're like, no. How about this? No. And this one sort of started. A lot like, of them were lame. A lot of them were lame. Listen, there's no bad ideas in a brainstorm. Um, we're calling our Patreon This Had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance after uh, the great Shirley MacLaine's uh, speech when she won her Academy Award. I wanted to work with the turbulent brilliance of Deborah Winger. She literally inhabited the character so thoroughly that I thought for four months I had two daughters. Uh, it could have been this had Oscar buzz. I deserve this. But that felt a little a little icky when <laughs> we're asking you guys for uh, uh, for a monthly subscription. So anyway, this had Oscar buzz. Turbulent Brilliance has already launched. Go check it out. It's already there. There's already some some content. We got we got it waiting for you. There's coffee on the kettle already for you. Yeah. Cookies have been baking in the oven and are now cooling on the counter. So, uh, Chris, caveat here: that doesn't mean don't continue listening to this episode. Oh my Let god! Let those cookies cool. Yes, They'll there's going to be there some goodness you. here. There's some goodness here in this episode. You're not going to want to. We miss got that. some stuff coming this episode. We don't want you to abandon this episode. But 
Yeah. We're very excited to do. We've had a lot of uh, listeners request this for quite some time. And yes. we, we weren't trying to leave you all hanging. It's mostly been scheduling for both of us. And I yes. think we've just, uh, you know, gotten serious about, you know, we're going to make the schedule work. We want to be able to provide this for our listeners who want to provide it. Yeah, we didn't who, want to launch uh, it half-assed. We and we wanted to make it count when we did yes so um a little a little bit of detail to go into it with uh the patreon we've got one tier essentially of membership a five dollar membership should we call the membership tier something chris by the time you listen to this this will have launched so we'll have made this decision but by the time this is launched maybe we'll have called the five dollar you know, tier. let's, like let's the... leave a little mystery they can go and, yeah uh, find go see out. what we've decided so, from now yes. until when we've launched um for that five dollar monthly subscription you will get two extra bonus episodes of this had oscar buzz per month so that's in addition to the four to five that we already launch per month depending on how many mondays are in a given month you will get two bonus episodes per month one of those episodes will be a thing that we've been teasing kind of forever as a pop- as a patreon uh option which is what <laughs> when we've been we calling... said we're gonna do we have something in mind for yeah, this that, yeah this is what we've, we've been saying for like literal years uh these are the movies that we've been calling exceptions so these are movies that fit the usual this had oscar buzz rubric of you know great Oscar expectations and then disappointing results, even though the movies may have gotten one or two Oscar nominations that disqualify it from being a main feed episode. So we're talking about movies like Charlie Wilson's War or Across the Universe or Nine or The Lovely Bones, God help us all. Uh, sign up and we'll put a tomb in the middle of your house. Put a tomb in the middle of your house. <laughs> That is the promise we make to you with our Patreon. That is the turbulent brilliance promise from us to you. For our second bonus episode of every month, it'll be more of a departure uh, in format. We'll be doing things like Oscar race check-ins, or we'll be covering a particular EW fall movie preview, sort of like we did with the um, May miniseries last year. We'll be maybe we'll watch an old award show and and banter on about that. Talk about old Hollywood Reporter roundtables, uh, pa- maybe Patreon-only mailbags we've been talking about, some fun mm-hmm. thought experiments. Uh, Chris, remind me, uh, there was a fun thought experiment that was brought to my attention uh, uh, yesterday that I want to discuss because uh, that'll be a fun one. But uh, tune in, to, to sign up for our Patreon and see what that turns into. Um, exactly. We're going to explore the space. We're going to see what works. We think you will have fun taking that ride with us. We're, of course, um, open to feedback for what you guys want. We're open to the idea. Totally. Once we're on the ground and moving of maybe adding some things to this, like uh, we know that discords are immensely popular with Patreons right now. We are two old dorky gay guys who don't know how to use Discord yet, so trust and believe yeah. we're going to try to learn that before we incorporate it and do it half-assed. If we're going to do that, we're, we want We to promise not to wait you. five more years before we do something much more of a <laughs> right. social community. But overall being, you know, the the point being, we, uh, we're we open to your feedback if you uh, have uh, interests or ideas for that, like, absolutely yeah. let us know and we'll take it into consideration. Because yep. um, this is, of course, like, our love letter to all of you who listen to the show and have been wanting even more of the show. 
Yes. Uh, this will also be uh, your opportunity to send a love letter to us in the form of $5 per month. So uh, we're also talking about things like Patreon-only polls. You'll be able to vote and determine certain upcoming episodes. So uh, a little bit more control. Don't we all want a little bit more control in our life? This is a story about control. Uh, our control. Your control. To sign up for this head Oscar buzz. What I am, what I <laughs> yes. do, what I say. Exactly. Um, to sign up. For this head Oscar buzz, Turbulent Brilliance, you can go right now to our page. Well, no, right as Chris said, listen to our smell episode, then go. Go and subscribe, just, you know, right. as you're listening Don't, to... Yeah, keep the headphones yes. in, keep your, yes. Um, multitask, we're a, we're a nation of multitaskers, we can all get this done at once. Go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thishadoscarbuzz. There uh, will already be... A page there. There should be episodes waiting for you to sign up. Once again, we're speaking to you from the past, but we are trying to co- to predict the future. And you can sign up. You can listen. You can enjoy two new episodes a month. A whole new listening experience for this at Oscar Buzz fans. Gary's, we love you. The Gary's tier. Of course, it's probably going to be the Gary's tier. I mean, like, yes, um, there is only one tier, and it is the Gary. Yeah. That's um, our specialty cocktail. <laughs> that is our specialty cocktail, the Gary. Oh, that seems a little... That sounds know. gross. It, sounds it does gross. sound gross. We don't don't name a cocktail after a person, particularly a male. I know a margarita is a lady's name, but, you know. A margarita. Wow. Okay, see, this was... This, if you want a window into how long it took us to name the podcast, to name the Patreon, this is why. is because we would <laughs> come up with things like margarita, and then we would immediately look at each other and go, ooh. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, speak for yourself. I am very proud of that pun. <laughs> well, but you've been watching in just like that, though. So your pun uh, meter is it needs some calibration. Once Listen, I'm sitting there. on 2,000 words on the insanity that is LTW's life, uh, if anybody wants them. <laughs> Honestly, pitch it around. Like LTW as a documentarian is equal to the insanity of Che as a comedian. I rest my case. Pitch that around. Someone will run that. 100%. Um, She's just like running Final Cut Pro in her closet. I mean, like, you're talking to somebody who makes their art in their I closet. I was going to say, so you're speaking from a closet I am right LTW. now. Yeah. Um, by the way, as we are doing, as we are recording this, I have changed my setup ever so slightly, which is to say I've turned 90 degrees to my right. And so now Chris actually can see something behind me besides the glaring light of the sun blazing in through my window. So that's nice. Um podcast being a visual medium yeah um i i've told you joe that i am bringing let's loop it back to the wonderful movie that we are here to talk about that is her smell yes i am here to bring chaos madness and confusion to this episode much in the way that becky something brings Mm -hmm. chaos madness and confusion to everyone involved in the film and i lucked into a gift that my sister got me not for my birthday but just because and i was like the timing is perfect. I am coming to you, listeners who can see this because podcasts are visual. I am coming to you in an original Fuck off. Phantom of the Opera t-shirt. Get out of here. You were hiding you, this like, off screen This is maybe for me. not going to be super fruitful. Oh but my god. I, I'm bringing the, I'm sprawning this on you. You need at, to uh, understand, listeners, Chris my. pulled off a full reveal where he just tilted his computer screen down and revealed the absolute to splendor. the mask. Of the Phantom of the Opera mask. Of course, the Phantom of the Opera t-shirt is a mainstay in her smell. Uh, one of 
many, many fantastic visual touches. I'm when so excited to talk about When we first saw this movie this together, I forget if it was you or me who leaned over to the other and was like, is she in a fucking Phantom <laughs> of the Opera t-shirt? <laughs> so good. Um, this is going to be a really interesting movie to talk about. Not only did we see this together, this was also a... Um, this was one of those movies where we saw it at TIFF. It wouldn't open until the following April. And mm-hmm. so it was a lot, but a lot of critics and sort of people in our circles had seen it. And I think we all kind of realized once you walk out of this movie, the score is pretty uh, apparent, which is this is a really great movie. I love it. It is going to absolutely have no future as an awards contender or like even like we thought there was a possibility that it could be sort of like a cult hit. But like that was kind of the ceiling on it. And but the greatness is there, though, that it's just like totally. immediately we were like, well, it should be. And like, but it's so if aggressively we are doing our job to champion it, you know. But I would even say, though, that like. I think this is a movie that very intentionally spends its first hour 45, I would even say, really aggressively trying to dare you to, you know, give up on it, essentially, Um, much as Becky something sort of does in her own life. This is a movie that wants to kind of disgust you with her behavior, the way she treats everybody. Um, the way she, you know, is just, even the way she talks, this sort of like her, her, um, her need to throw in some sort of like verbal flourish constantly and like speak around the issue and like double speak. And you don't quite know whether she's happy about something or angry about something. And it's usually both. And she doesn't, you don't know whether she's insulting you or being nice to you. She's always insulting you. Um, and, (laughs) and so it's, it's not until she really hits that rock bottom and you get to the second last of the five sort of major acts of this, that the movie finally relents for half a second because it's such a, stressful and off-putting intentionally so uh movie up until then that even critics who were like this movie rules you should all go see it also like even people who saw it off of that i could see a good percentage of those people being turned off by it there's also the thing and this is what i want to talk about a little bit before we get into the plot description is this is an Alex Ross Perry movie that is very much, this is the one of these things isn't like the other. It is the least like his other movies of his movies. Do you know what I mean? Like it's the, mm-hmm. it's the outlier in terms of style, in terms of energy and all of his movies to some degree or another are working with the premise of I'm going to try and make you watch this movie about unlikable people <laughs> in some degree or another. And yet this one to me is the one that really stood out from the crowd as being really great. And I had liked or disliked Alex Ross Perry's previous movies to different degrees. But I think by the time her smell comes around, he had crafted such a cinematic persona that 
you could be like, you got to see this movie, Her Smell. And somebody will be like, what's what's that movie's deal? And you're like, <laughs> well, it's the new Alex Ross Perry movie. And they're like, well, with that title, and maybe I'm not into Alex Ross Perry movies, so like, I'm out. And yeah. you had to really sort of convince people who maybe weren't into the Alex Ross Perry vibe or that horrendous title that I've read so many I articles. I love the title. <laughs> I've read so many articles about this movie in the last few days, and not mm-hmm. a single one of them attempts to explain why they called this movie her smell. Like there's there really is no I mean, need for I think it. it it's tells such a great kind of what title. you're in for because like sure. the, you the smell is not like scent no. No. or you know, it makes Aroma. you think of something like grody or raunchy. Yeah. But like the it phrase her smell is meant to be and... said sort of with crinkled nose, like, ooh. Uh, yeah. Like and it, it seems it, like I a misogynistic feel like it is term. giving you exactly what you, it, it's like in two syllables. It's the, your relationship to what those words invoke. It is giving you everything that the movie is intending to give you in a way. Yeah. Um, it also, though, it evokes that kind of riot girl thing where it's like that you know punk aesthetic where it's like i'm going to put a whole lot of attitude right up in your face and be like eh, like you know i'm not trying to make yeah, you like you can't me. really title a movie well fuck you right right so you title it her smell but it's right. yeah it's the you know it's the crassy cassie of it it's the roxy rotten first of all <laughs> all of the acre girls are named like the misfits from gem and the holograms it's absolutely incredible it literally is like pizzazz and roxy and stormer it's so funny um marielle hell even uh, uh for uh, agnes Dane's character and um also zelda ezekiel is just a very funny name that's uh, zelda Amber's. who <laughs> amber heard as zelda in this movie i remember when like people uh, when people were first catching up to this movie and people were like uh her smell is great and amber heard plays katie perry oh okay on the other side of the plot description i want to get into antecedents for these because like they're not Strictly one-to-ones, but a lot of these characters definitely make you think of other certain other certain people. I mean, Becky, something a lot of people have invoked, like Courtney Love. Alex Ross Perry says that it's more Axl Rose than Courtney that Love. That makes a lot of sense, too. Um, well, and Axl Rose, like, is... I am not a therapist, but Axl Rose is an unwell person, yeah. much in the way that Becky Something is. Well, and, like, and Courtney Love has, through her lifetime, been unwell at many portions of her sure, life, Sure, 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 sure. The other thing but, about Courtney is, I think the idea of having the baby backstage felt very yeah. Courtney-fied, right? Like, that's yeah. that's um, that's definitely a thing there. Um, I mean, I think this is a better movie for not being like a yes, literal one-to-one where you're just changing the names of, th- of something, but it's like you're capturing yes. a whole era of music that like even Courtney Love is maybe a little too mainstream right. to... Courtney like, Love was never really Riot Girl. She was like, right. she was grunge. She was, you know, um, uh, this is more in the... The final song over the closing credits is a Runaways song. So, like, I think that's Mm -hmm. sort of giving you a window into Runaways and Bikini Kill and and Slater Kinney even and that kind of stuff, which is a little more. I mean, there's so much in 
Even the backstage Kenny's probably too mainstream. <laughs> the backstage antipathy b- that Becky has for Zelda, which you get the sense that like Zelda was one of them, and then she sort of sold out and got poppier. And there's a little bit of Katy Perry. There's a little bit of like Lady Gaga, even a little bit, and sort of these. You know, she definitely went poppier, but in a sort of like art pop to, to coin a phrase. You know, mm-hmm. kind of a way. There's also that little bit of. You know, when remember when Liz Fair ha- made the pop record and everybody got so and pissed. made the greatest pop song maybe of all time. It's such Top a good five song. greatest pop songs ever. Yeah, period. it's a great song. Um, but everybody, but so many people got pissed at Liz Fair because Liz Fair was such an avatar of like indie alt rock. Um, and I think that sense of betrayal is evident in. Becky's attitude towards Zelda in the beginning mm-hmm. of this movie. Um, but we'll talk about all of that on the other side of the plot description because there's a lot to get into. One more thing I wanted to say, though, and we'll talk more about Alex Ross Perry. We'll talk, eh, we'll do it on the other side of the plot description. There's a lot to get well, into. Well, uh, let, let me set the stage for myself a little bit. Yeah, I want to do that too. Yeah. I, you talked a little bit about, and I'm sure we'll talk more about the resistance, isn't even the right word, but like, the the people who watch five minutes of this movie and want to run in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. I feel a certain level of, I don't know if it's like cognitive dissonance, sure. <laughs> but it's like I'm put in front of this movie and when people are like off-putting, sure. aggressively unpleasant, sure. blah, 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 blah. Sure. I'm like, have you not seen a movie? Like some well, of the same people that are like loving Ari Aster movies and like, are not on board with well, this movie. I kind of don't understand. Ari Aster like, is also working in the realm of, you know, unpleasantness too. As is like a Charlie Kaufman. As is like loud unpleasantness too. Like yeah, in your face, aggressive strangeness and unpleasantness. But like I can, and I, I don't think this movie really registers on that level for me. Maybe I'm just, I'm just so all in the tank. I'm. It makes me question almost like, am I too passive of a viewer? Like, am I just willing to? ride the ride whatever the ride is because i'm not put off by this movie in the way people are (laughs) i'm not put off by this movie but i think on an intellectual level you can look at this movie and you can see you can like admit the fact that like this is a movie that is written with an aggressively nasty mean hurtful loud people don't want to spend time with that extreme and kind of annoying. Like, Becky's annoying. Like, there's a lot of things about Becky that yeah, are just Becky's fucking annoying. Um, and and the one thing that I read uh, in one of the interviews was Elizabeth Moss made the point, which I think is a very good point, which is that this is not a movie that comes from Becky's POV. This is from the POV of everybody sort of taking right. Becky in. This is everybody else's POV, which is we are being assaulted by Becky Every time she's in the room, and a lot of the times when she's not in the room. And um, there is and, a lot of time spent where it is people talking about her. Yes. Rather than, even if she's on the periphery, you know. She's on the other side of soundproof glass for certain scenes. You know what I mean? Right. Pounding on the. <laughs> what is this? When I rewatched this last night and I I got to the bang, 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 what yeah. is this? Yeah. I was like, oh, this GIF used to be everywhere and we yep. need to bring it yes. back. Yes, I had the exact same thought. I had the exact same thought. Um, but yes, I get what you're saying about how, like, <laughs> you're the one who's just, like, you're in the middle of the fire. You're the dog in the middle of the fire. And you're like, this is fine. And I'm like, doesn't this feel great? This is, this is fine by me. Um, I get it. Like, I, I don't think, when I say that 
this movie and this character especially are aggressively off-putting. I don't mean that, like, I am riding the pause, the stop button right. the entire time I'm watching it. But, like, I can recognize the fact that, like, this is a movie much like Young Adult, which we talked about a little bit ago. Whereas, like, Diablo Cody wrote that character knowing she was writing a character who was really pushing the boundaries of likability in a lead character. And intentionally so. And I think if you look at Alex Ross Perry's entire filmography, that's the kind of protagonist he he writes about. And that's why I think for as much as this movie aesthetically is a departure from Alex Ross Perry movies, in a, in a lot of other ways, it fits in with A Queen of Earth or even mm-hmm. a Listen Up Philip, which like my problem with Listen Up Philip, and that was a movie that I couldn't ultimately get down with, was, oh my God, I can't watch this movie about this character. I fucking hate him so much. And whatever psychology it says about me that like Becky something is fine by me and <laughs> Listen Up Philip, uh, Schwartzman and Listen Up Philip is not, um, whatever. But it's, you know, it's worth digging into. Um, I just think that there is such an immediate depth and intrigue to not just Becky something, but the world as it is created by Alex Ross Perry in this movie, because obviously we're going to be talking so much about that character and that performance, but like there is so much that is just so like idiosyncratically rendered where it's just Mm -hmm. like it feels like this is a two and a half hour movie they could have kept fucking going Mm -hmm. like it there's so much depth to the environment to the character portraiture not just of becky something but everyone else even people you maybe only see once yeah that anything that's off-putting to me like all of that other stuff is what's pulling me in and like i care less about oh, this person's so awful, and more like, this person is fascinating. I would watch an entire Dirtbag Danny movie. Like, 100%. First of all... You just uh, sweet baby Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens is so fucking hot in this movie. I can't even begin to describe (laughs) it. He's so fucking hot in this movie. Just worth saying. Worth mentioning. We'll get into the cast later, too, because, like, the cast is is rich with possibility. Um... Okay, so before we get any further into this episode, I'm going to make Chris describe this plot in 60 seconds. Um, We are talking about, for our 250th extravaganza, uh, we are talking about Her Smell, directed and written by Alex Ross Perry, starring Elizabeth Moss, Agnes Dane, Gail Rankin. Oh my god, Gail Rankin is so fucking the great good Gail in this Rankin. movie. I love her so much. Dan Stevens, Cara Delevingne, who gets second billing, and we'll talk about that too on the other end of it. The billing in this movie is wonderful uh, and also insane. Um, Cara Delevingne, Ashley Benson, Dylan Galula, Eka Darville, with Virginia Madsen, with Eric Stoltz, and Amber Heard, a truly iconic with with and in this movie um this premiered at the toronto international film festival on september 19th 2018 we saw it a few days later uh it opened uh, eventually after playing a bunch of other festivals it opened in limited release on april 12th 2019 and limited release it stayed uh all to the tune of the whatever 200 and something thousand dollars it made two hundred fifty five thousand dollars at the domestic box office which uh, this was definitely Alex Ross Perry's most expensive movie to date. There was a whole article. It's actually, go and find the article if you're listening to this, the IndieWire article. It'll be linked Dave, in the Tumblr. Uh, David Ehrlich wrote about uh, 
about her smell and specifically about Alex Ross Perry and the sort of economic level on which he operates in Hollywood and how essentially he made her smell for the exact most amount of money that he could get away with not having to answer to anybody to make this Mm -hmm. movie and the sort of the balancing act that that requires for a movie with a pretty formidable cast and certainly like more, more of a production value element that he had ever put into his movies before. And the fact that this movie, even for an indie movie, super flopped, um, meant that like, to some certain degree that like Alex Ross Perry is probably never going to be able to get to make a movie to that degree again, at least until he can find, you know, maybe a way around to a big success with a small, small budget. But the economics of Hollywood are really squeezing out, you know, those even lower middle ranges. But anyway, it's a really fantastic article uh, from 2019, David Ehrlich on uh, IndieWire. Go read it. And in the meantime, Chris, i my stopwatch. Uh, is Becky here yet? Is Chris here yet? Is he ready to do the uh, plot description yet? Is Who he... is Becky something? Oh, indeed. Okay. Um, stop. Watch. Ready to go. Chris, tell me when, and I will start the clock. <laughs> Let's see how this goes. All right. And begin. All right, Her Smell, a.k.a. Punk Girl, King Lear, a story in five acts. In the first, we see the band Something She, led by Becky Something, uh, kind of at the beginning of their decline, and their decline may or may not probably is exacerbated by Becky Something's addiction and being a general monster. In the second act, uh, we see that they are trying to record another album, and it is not going well because Becky is so much of a monster. Uh, They shepherd in the acre girls who are the new generation of the punk girl who worship something she but are still also kind of a different uh musical vibe so you definitely feel like the time for something she is over and then we see the third act where at this like venue in the like depths of hell becky is hours and hours late and cannot be corralled and she is having a major fucking drug break down in front of everyone including her mother who she pushes away and then in act four we see becky something sitting in fucking silence in the woods and she is in recovery and they are thinking of trying to invite her back to uh you know perform once again for the first time everyone in the world is suing her though so she maybe also needs it financially in the fifth act, we see this reunion concert for their former uh, record executive that's like celebrating the music and such. And the question while everyone is backstage is, is Becky using again? Will this force her to use again? Uh, and it's this giant question. And it's the most tense moments of the movie, probably of just like this question mark of can she ever transcend her addictions? And does the movie answer that question? We don't really know, but they have a good show. Would you like to guess how many seconds over a minute you went? 317. <laughs> it was 47 seconds, almost 48 seconds over. But you know what? It's our 250th episode, so we get a, we get a, a little extra leeway. You can't um, ask for a Shakespearean five-act structure yeah. within 60 seconds. It's in, You mentioned Shakespearean. That was definitely one of the influences that Alex Ross Perry talked about uh, making this movie. It was uh, Guns N' Roses. 
Axl Rose specifically, it was uh, he had seen a production of The Merchant of Venice with Jonathan Price in it, and then he had watched Kenneth Branagh's uh, marathon uh, Hamlet. And the five-act structure, the sort of, even the like the very elaborate dialogue that um, that Becky something is These always reams sort and of reams same. of fucking pages. Of uh, fucking gibberish, too. It's just like, it's it's self-aggrandizing absolute, like, horseshit that she is, like, It is, it is gobbledygook, but, yeah. like, you just kind of sit there in amazement. And it's yeah. like, a lot of people compared this performance and the movie to, uh, like, Jenna Rowland's work in Cassavetti's movies. And yeah. a lot of people compared this movie to Cassavetti's movies. And Elizabeth Moss was like, this was absolutely not like that. This Everything was scripted <laughs> down to the word, and we followed the script. Yeah. And that is even more mind-blowing, because it's yes. like, well, uh, Jenna Rowland's never, uh, you know memorized 15 pages of gobbledygook that's that you have so to deliver much in this monologue. goddamn dialogue to memorize for elizabeth moss like in addition to the fact that she's just absolutely magnetic and like the, the camera gets right up in her face too and there are some uh the cinematographer in this movie deserves to be uh, uh shouted out sean price williams um there are some of the some close-ups of Elizabeth Moss where she looks absolutely fucking iconic. And I know iconic is a thing that every gay person says without absolutely uh uh without without remorse these days. It's just like we're throwing around that term. But like it it like in the strictest sense of the word iconic, it is a it is an image to build an icon out of. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there are some of in these the way that Jenna Rollins was in those movies. In mm. the way that it's just like mm. the image you're seeing is framed in this way that is so attuned to every bit of minutia in this performance mm-hmm. but the performance that's happening on screen is a total breakdown of the veneer of performance to make you believe that you are seeing this real person go through what they're doing and you're not yeah. seeing Elizabeth Moss yeah. perform this you know there was the it, other that's huge hyperbole especially for a movie that's not even 5 years old but yeah. like watch the movie and disagree like there was the other quote, and I wish I had written down the 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 entire thing to quote it exactly. But there was um, Alex Ross Perry in one of the interviews that he gave mentioned how this wasn't a movie about a band or about uh, a musical scene or about even addiction. That it was a movie about identity, and mm-hmm. um, he sort of he cites the fact that like all of these main characters are all sort of like working under an alias that they've adopted for themselves and these stage names and whatnot. And even like um, the, the shaman uh, who she's calling uh, Yaima, right. And it's just like, that's not really his name. His name's like Phil or whatever. Um, and he's a con man. Um, and he's like, that's the movie is this identity, these sort of like, and, and you can see it with Becky where she is, she is this, like, I mean, at some point, she was incredibly talented. You don't get to that level without being talented. But she also has a talent for... Being uh, Becky something? Well, for being Becky something and for being, for playing the role of a turbulent pop star. A mm-hmm. turbulent Because she is performing star. this persona. Right, the all time. the time. All the and time. it gets to the point of the question of this willingness, this, you know, compulsion mm-hmm. to play this character yeah. that is not the person is, you know, you see it on some of the fringes when it talks about her 
yeah, lack of a better word, trauma. But like things like is something as simple as like the role of her father in her life. Yeah. You know, a way of her performing the persona might at one time been a protective layer for herself, but then it becomes something that is ultimately destructive to the yeah. point that she doesn't know who she is as a yeah. person anymore. Well, the other thing is you look at the people who are closest to her in this movie and it's, you know, it's Mari and it's um, Allie who are her two bandmates. Um, Dan Stevens as her, X, I think they're still like finalizing their divorce, right? They're still like, yeah. there's always papers that needed to be signed, whether she's, you know, she's getting sued, she's getting divorced, she's getting whatever. Um, and the people who are closest to her, who like Mari goes, you know, her stage name is Marielle Hell, and like Allie is Allie Vander Wolf, right? It's so funny that like the wolf is part of Gail Rankin's character in this and glow. It's kind <laughs> of uh hilarious. She's just the wolf girl. Um but all of these people, as we see them in the movie, even in the beginning parts of the movie, were like, Becky is on 12 out of 10. You know what I mean? 21 out of 10. Um, in order to have to deal with her... That's rounding down. She's it, it, at 12,000 out of 10. Yeah. All, in order to deal with her, you imagine you imagine that these girls had these big personalities to be in this, you know, riot girl band, right? And Dan was, you know, dirtbag Danny, right? And even in the shot in the cuz this movie is in, is the the acts are separated by these like video camera moments from when they were younger and sort of more uh more innocent and more and happier. Um where you see Virginia Madsen as the mother feels much more like a stage mother and much more like oh god like i'm sure she was like she's really wants to be part of the scene oh you girls she's very like oh you girls keep me young like that kind of a thing mm -hmm. and then when you see them in these first few acts of the movie they have in order to deal with becky have kind of drained that extremeness out of their own personalities they are like the most straight-laced people like ally at this point she's just like what am i why did i even want to do this i'm just like mm -hmm. i have no energy to be this sort of like rocker girl mari is like she's doing coke through the first two-thirds of the movie but she's only she only seems to be doing that to have the energy to put up with becky danny mm -hmm. has absolutely like retired the dirtbag danny uh, persona. Part of that is he just wants to be a dad. He's an adult and he's a dad and he's mature now. But part of it is just like they have all had to downsize their personalities in order to balance out what Becky's doing. And so mm -hmm. Becky is like is this volcano in the midst of all of them, and they have all essentially had to get like to normcore themselves to to deal with her because otherwise you would have you wouldn't have room for a second big personality in the room. And you sort of see when the Acre girls are introduced. And it's not like these girls have these huge personalities, but they're bubbly and they're fun and they have their own little sound. Um, you can certainly see why Becky had no room for Zelda in her life anymore. Anybody mm -hmm. with any kind of a personality that might be a threat to her, you can see the way she deals with them. Her dealing with the Acre girls is a study and if I could watch it like a nature <laughs> film because the way she's like, she knows she she's cannot, like, who the fuck are these bitches? The she, second she walks into the room, but with she them. knows she can't be outwardly the worst to them because she needs them. She needs them mm -hmm. for her own survival, but she also absolutely loathes the fact that she needs them. And she loathes the fact that they have a different sound than she does, that their sound is an evolution away from what she's been doing. And well, that's and a threat I also to her. think. The second that she glazes on to the fact that they 
idolize her. Yes. But they don't know what a shit show she is. Like, they still have the blinders on. They are fresh yeah. to her. Yeah. They are just fonts of appreciation for her. The second she realizes that, she turns on a dime with them. It's mm-hmm. not just that she kind of, like, needs them and their rising star to, you know, have a moment for herself. It's also that, like, they can potentially, even if it's just for a short time... Well, it's vampiric. Yes. They can They can give her that, you know... Yeah. Adoration that her entire circle has ceased to provide. Right. They are fresh blood. They are legitimately, I think Mara even says it like close to that. Like Mm -hmm. they are a source, they are new energy source that she can sort of like, you know, uh, drain essentially for her own. And by the next time you see them, you can see it in them. They're like, they have been through the Becky something roller coaster, and they are fucking over it by this point. And it's like, oh wow, in record time, they have like like uh, Dylan Galula's character is just like, what? Like, why do we have to put up with this? And I think that's how you know everybody has gotten. And it's it's so stressful. It's so high stress. But I genuinely think the most stressful act of this movie, and I'm sure you agree with me on this, but maybe not, uh, is the final act. Where, yes, because you are so, and I think Allie is the one who sort of represents the audience in that. Allie, in many ways, is kind of an audience surrogate in this. I love Cal Rankin's performance in this movie so much. Um, because we have seen the scene where Mari goes and visits her at home, and she's clean, and she's so remorseful, and she's almost afraid to, Becky seems almost afraid to move suddenly to make any Mm -hmm. sudden movement yeah like she has to sit still or everything she's got this delicate balance of of whatever level of healing she's achieved at this point and she's really afraid that she's going to upset it and then the next thing we see they've all gathered for this reunion concert for eric stoltz who is this like he's a label head i imagine he was in charge of this like small, you know, indie label, punk yeah. indie label or whatever. And and they've all all his bands are there too. So it's Zelda and the Acre Girls and 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 something she. And Becky, as you mentioned in your plot description, she needs the money too. Like she's she's being sued by everybody. She she's, you know, she needs this, but she's also being sued by the people who are still even somewhat on her side. Like yes. Dirtbag Danny. Um and yet I think she and Mari kind of pushes her towards this a little bit. She wants to be able to show herself that she can still be this talented musician. That she doesn't have to have like abandoned that side of her just to get clean. That she can be that without losing herself into, you know, into this life again. And she's giving it a shot. And yet, the more we are backstage with her, the camera loses track of her. This is some really fantastic direction by Alex Ross Perry. We The camera... That fucking set that they got, that backstage set, which just feels like a labyrinth that, like, you're constantly going in and out of doors. Some rooms have multiple exits into this, yeah. this hallway that seems to go on into an abyss is... I mean, like, what they had to have fucking felt like they got a gift in that set because Uh that set alone makes the tension. A lot of the reviews of her smell mentioned Gaspar Noe as a 
as a uh, antecedent to mm-hmm. uh, Perry's films. The spatial and disorientation. I guarantee you, it's people who had just seen Climax because, like, it's <laughs> because it, it is very Climax, similar. What a great movie! Her smell, Climax, double feature. Do it, but also like have like a photo of a loved one nearby so you can like ground yourself <laughs> mentally when you're done it's just like i live in the real world like i have you know what i mean it would be so psychologically damaging and yet like kind only of see it in the spring so you can immediately go outside and touch grass 100 um yeah like yeah, literally yeah. you'll be on your hands and knees yeah god forbid you see it in the winter and you get you the end of climax body. and you wander outside and it's also a snowy like wilderness like you'd be fucked um but we then, can't derail into climax talk no, we because can't. We can't. I will be like Sophia Butella forever. But so um, anyway, um, anyway, the camera loses track of Becky, and then it's Mari and Allie, and then eventually like the other characters are like trying to find her, and you're like, okay, where is she? Has she? Is she going to relapse? Is she going to self harm? Is she? Has she left? Has she, does she, you know, not think she can do it? What's going on? And they finally find her in, you know, near the door of the stage at the end of this long hallway with her back to them. And it's a really eerie image because it's literally just like she's staring into this abyss that she's going to have to go into. And you have no idea whether, because the other part is like Mari has like gone into a room and like one of the other bands are like getting high in a room. And, is there just too much temptation for Becky here? Mm-hmm. And can she do it? And But, like, there's a lot of factors there, and I think this is a movie that, if any of this sounds hokey or, like, touchy-feely to any listeners who haven't seen this movie, this movie earns a note of, you know, it somewhat... Very a, it very hardly earns. It, it, it makes, like, earn. ideas yeah. like that not trite or trivial. That it's like, she is literally standing on the precipice of this stage, which represents... All of it. It represents her, you know, yeah. her, uh, every bit of that minutiae about her situation, not just her addiction, yeah. um, but just like where she is in life. And that it can get away with that and it feels so earned and it feels so like... Well, and ultimately, it's a movie that ends on an individual decision that Becky makes because she makes the decision to not go back on stage for an encore and to essentially go home with her kid. Although it cuts to the end before we actually see her leave. So I do feel like there's a little bit of a note of like, maybe she goes home or like, maybe not. But I do like the end where she's making that active decision that she's like, I got on stage. I know I can do it, but now I can also make the choice to like be a, be a mom to my kid and go home. Mm -hmm. But up and up before that point, this is a movie about Becky making that individual choice, but it is also a movie about how, and this sort of ties into the identity thing, too. So much of Becky up until that point had been, I am the star. I am the creative force behind this band. Everybody else is just a disappointment to me in one way or another. My mom failed me and my husband failed me. And my child is going to be my downfall. So says my shaman who I've hired. You know, my bandmates don't have the, you know, the the wherewithal to keep up with me. And... Finally, by this last act, she admits to herself and to everybody around her that she needs them. She's not going to be able to get through this without them. She's not going to yeah, be I'm able to. I'm here for you. Thank you for being here for me. And then they go on stage and she calls them all up and she brings Zelda back up on the stage. And it's like, and again, that's the kind of ending that can feel hokey or 
or overly sentimental. But like, if you've been through the gauntlet of the first two thirds of this movie, you know that like that is not a a you know an ending that is sort of tossed off or easily mm-hmm. sentimental. Like you've been through the ringer with this movie, and it's not a contrivance. You know, right. it's not, and it's not, it's not about making the audience feel good. It's about the emotional journey that Becky is on. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a really good movie. It's just a really good movie. You know, to be honest, good movie. Good movie. Good, good movie. movie. All right. Um, <laughs> we mostly talked about that act, but like the other ones are really good. I oh mean, yeah. The fourth act, especially, I think the first time that you see. I mean, <laughs> spoiler for any listeners who uh, haven't seen this movie. Um, the fourth act really feels like such a gut punch in just the really unbearable silence of it you know you have this very very loud mm, yeah intricately designed uh soundscape of this movie that feels like hell yeah. um and then you just have silence of her sitting there and then slowly you hear this tea kettle coming to a hiss and a mm. boil and it's like that's yeah that's what this movie uh you know the emotional arc of it and then of course you have it also has the it earns that she gets to do the most cheesy the most sentimental the most eye roll song in the world and you're fucking crying it's watching such a good scene first of all i love that song it is absolutely as cheesy as you say but it, I, I fucking love that song we've been down this road before but that's over now you keep me coming back for more Maybe you're all that I want When you're lying here in my arms I'm finding it hard to believe We're in heaven It is synthetic cheese. It it's is. not even nacho cheese. Oh, it it's, is... it is Kraft Singles, but I fucking love Kraft Singles. It's Velveeta. And I love, yes, and I and I and I'm here for it. Um, wonderf- wonderful performance. And then she also sings the little acoustic snippet of the song she's working on, which also is like very earnest and very um, confessional and very kind of like singer songwriter. Um, well, and this, I think the sentiment she's express. I mean, the lyrics are literally in that song. I don't want to get. I don't want to quit. I just want to be in control of it. Yeah, and it's just like that. Feels like something an addict might not be allowed. Scare quotes to say. Yeah, in a way that I'd maybe never heard like in a song before. Yeah, yeah. you know that yeah. just like. Well, it's also a thing where, like, it may not ever be achievable. Like, that's the thing yeah. about an addict, right? You know what I mean? And But that's also the thing about songwriting is, you know, you're maybe writing about your your dreams of it. And your dream mm-hmm. is maybe always going to be out of your grasp. You're never going to be able to achieve that level of not quitting but being in control of it. You know what I mean? That may not yeah. ever be possible. But it's certainly something that you would want. Like, I imagine if I, you know if I were that hardcore of an addict and I had to give that all up, there would be a big part of me that would be like, why can't I just, you know, do this just enough to feel good, but also be in control? Like why, why do Mm -hmm. seemingly other people, you know, maybe get to do this and I can't. Um, Agnes Dean, especially in that sequence is so. I love all of the moments of Agnes Dean and, and uh, Gail Rankin, 
interacting with Dan Stevens too, because they are, it's, they're very much like they, they are very affectionate with each other in the manner of survivors of an ordeal. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it really is like, Oh, like we all lost our house to a hurricane and now we are bonded for life. And, Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, they are the, the survivors of hurricane Becky. Um, I, I guess we're moving backwards through the film because I also the the, <laughs> the the third act, which is the the one that the trailer for the movie is essentially just like two minutes worth of that third act when Becky finally shows up. But they're at this concert. She's two hours late. the The crowd is getting really restless. What I love is when Becky finally shows up because it's such a small club that she's like coming in through the front door and walking pat, like she's walking in enough where like the crowd can see her. So they all start cheering. And then as she gets on backstage, you can hear people be like, start the fucking show. Like, come on. Like they're getting really, really impatient with it all. Mm -hmm. And, and she is at her most self-aggrandized by this point. She is. This is when she does the whole, like promise me mama when I die. Have the coffin arrive half an hour late and on the side written in gold letters of the words. Sorry for the delay. She knows she's late. She knows she knows exactly how much she's put all these people out. And she knows that the only way to react and retain this like stature that she has is to just be obnoxiously proud of it. Oh, I never I was born without an internal clock, and it's like a you know, I'm a, and it makes me this sort of like mythological, you know, creature, or whatever. And mm-hmm. she's addressing her mom like she's fucking Medea, you know what I mean? And she's, you know, <laughs> Miss Anya Adamchek. And um it's but like your blood pressure is fucking spiking because the crowd's ready to riot. Everybody is ready to absolutely murder Becky, but also to absolutely leave Becky. Like, they are all on the precipice. They are all basically saying, just get through tonight, and we're done. It's over. They are all willing to never see Becky ever again after this night. And so what does that mean? And then that's that all happens before she literally tries to stab Allie in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That is like that's your emotional and energetic climax. Like the energy never gets higher than that point, right? That is the and the absolute sort of midpoint of the movie. Um, but it's terrifying. Like that is the why I will say for as much as some of Alex Ross Perry's stuff annoys me. I didn't like what was the one uh, Golden Exits. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, so that one. the thing about his movies is I always want to pair them with other movies as double features, but also as sort of like comparative points where like I said, her smell and climax queen of earth, which I really, really actually liked, which is so unsettling, which is Elizabeth Moss and Catherine Waterston are friends and they're staying at a lake house cabin and, and Patrick Fugit is there. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's a psychological terror kind of a thing where you're always wondering, are there really two people here? Is this like one of those Mm -hmm. movies that's going to turn out to be only one of them is real. Um, And I always want to pair that one with mother, especially because there's a scene where like everybody's coming at her and sort of like, you know, um, Golden Exits, I always compare negatively to, it's like his Hall of Center movie, his Ira Sachs movie, and like, it compares, I think, negatively to those. Um, 
Listen Up Phillips sort of slots in with like all of those sort of tortured Brooklyn genius. He's not a mumblecore guy, but you always sort of want to lump him into like the, you know, insufferable Brooklyn. The other part of the problem, it's not his fault. It's not Alex Ross Perry's fault that he looks like Alex Ross Perry. Like it's not his fault that he looks like a Jason Schwartzman character. Um, I think a lot of people. <laughs> so you prescribe that character to be Alex Ross Perry. And a lot of people watched Listen Up, Philip, and were like, "Oh, is this about you? Are you this awful person?" And he's like, "No." And it's like, "Okay," and I believe you. But also, you don't st- cast someone who looks exactly. You like starred you. in the color wheel, as you know what I mean. You've starred in your own movies, and then you've cast somebody who looks exactly like you so like sometimes we do and i think there is a not insignificant part of alex ross perry that wants to provoke people like that wants to get people to sort of like have those reactions and like i don't think he wants you to watch his movies and be a happy person i think he wants Mm -hmm. you to be a little bit miserable while you're watching these movies and it kind of has that and like he's an nyu kid you know what i mean and he's you know idolizes philip roth and idolizes you know pinch on and and you know it's he's he's not he wants to be a little bit of, uh, uh, if not a lot bit, of a sort of um, difficult, to, a non-cuddly, you know, sort of uh, a persona. I imagine he wants to be a little bit of an anti-Wes Anderson, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But anyway. The thing about Alex Ross Perry that I feel like in this movie is I feel like we, when this movie came out, we as fans of this movie did a great job of hyping up the Elizabeth Moss performance and giving her performance its due. I don't actually, at this point, looking back, I was thinking about this while watching this movie, I don't think we did a good enough job of hyping up Alex Ross Perry's achievement with this movie. It's a great directorial achievement. It is a huge creative leap, even if it just sounds like it's a character story. I think... Yep. The development of this world that exists that feels so incredibly tangible. Mm. Like, Becky something could so easily just be, you know, this monster of mm. her behavior. But, like, I think the achievement of, like, investing the audience in her humanity yeah. and, like, While this still idea being, of yeah. Becky something being a persona, a mask, if you will, in terms of the yeah. Phantom of the Opera uh, mm. inspiration. Um where are the candelabras, Alex? Where were the candelabras in the backstage? The candelabras uh, uh, in this backstage set are just cigarettes. <laughs> They're cigarettes. You light enough cigarettes, it'll light a room. Um, uh, but it is like maybe an underground lake. Possibly. Yeah, um, lake of fire. I think. I think also the story structure of this movie unlocks so much, just in terms of juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Like that first act. It's surprising when you get the cues from the dialogue of they are just beginning their descent as a as a popular scare quotes group right um, in this scene because we've seen the interstitials between every act is all of this like you know camcorder footage their first of them. spin cover their first platinum record like yeah and like you see them at like such an ascent where they're so excited first in that footage and then when you get into act one it's like oh that period we just saw is over and it may never come back sorry for the delay sorry for the uh quick technical delay we are uh back and recording again and chris take it from where you left off i was talking about just like the structure of the story and 
you know, Alex Ross Perry's achievement of the movie. I think that that fourth act comes as a real gut punch because you think you're kind of on the, on the, you know, this uh, mm-hmm. crazy ride. And then mm-hmm. it just like the bottom drops out in a way yeah. that I think is incredibly effective. Yeah. Um, actually like act four, you remember it being shorter than it is. And those mm. silences go on for long i think it's actually one of the longest portions of the movie and you certainly don't remember it that way yeah um and i think the fifth act i remembered as being longer than what it is Mm -hmm. yeah because in the experience of watching it the first time it does feel like time is like just like excruciatingly slow and you're just like oh my god can they just get on stage and everything be okay please be okay please don't Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. be falling off the wagon please don't you know nothing bad is happening it's amazing how much you want her to succeed after being so like repulsed by her in the first three acts you know if not repulsed just but like she works so hard to make you not feel you know warmly towards her maybe there is just something wrong with me. okay i get it you want becky something to be your best friend i get it i, I don't want her to be my best friend but i'm not just like oh my god i want her to go away or like no but i just you mean know, i just you know. i just maybe i just have too much patience maybe for a woman you're just too like good you know i watch gone girl and amazing amy is a uh, hero icon legend Wait, okay. I have maybe a lot there of patience for you. bad behavior. Maybe, for, uh, maybe, women, maybe, maybe there is. If you're watching Gone Girl and you're being like, "I love Amazing Amy so much," maybe you are. Maybe we are just different kinds of people. Um, Honestly, con that man. He <laughs> well, it's Ben Affleck. Of course, you're going to con Ben Affleck. But like, we say these things to sound cool. But like, I don't know if I necessarily. No, I mean, I'm half joking here, but yeah. it is also just like. Yeah, I don't care if someone's unlikable if it's a vehicle for a good performance. I don't think it makes the movie bad, but I also I feel like I can unlikable. I hate okay. calling things. All right, that. all right. Difficult um, women, Chris. I hate all difficult women. That is what I'm saying here. On that's not what I think you're saying. I okay. sometimes think the culture says it though. Okay. okay. Um, but no, I think Alex Ross Perry also achieves something incredible here i mean yeah. this movie dodges i think all of the cliches uh kind of at every turn of what this could be but i just think the scope and the you know depth of this world that we're placed in it just feels like all of the right decisions are made because i think you know we have all these pop culture references that people you know use to describe what this movie is like you know the courtney loves the axel roses mm-hmm. but like you know, the lesser version of this movie has a Courtney Love cameo, or it ha- draws from actual real-world characters, you know, where there's, like, uh, you know, Hole is the headliner for this show. Right, right, you know? right, right. And the movie doesn't want anything, for lack of a better word, cutesy like that, you know? It just wants to authentically place us in this world and then at every turn, it almost wants to give itself the most difficult version of drawing up that authenticity. Yeah. I will also say, in terms of, like, the authenticity and making it, like, um, uh, the uh, making this seem like a real world that exists, real bands that exist, this is, movie has been one of the few times that I have succumbed to the idea of merch. <laughs> because... <laughs> 
I have a something she shirt. I wish I had gotten that Acre Girls shirt. And because, like, they did have, like, a lineup of merch for this movie, which, like, I hope it made them some money. The design work on, if you watch the closing credits, all of the fake album covers that are, and there's, like, I forget what uh, fifteen who, of them who wrote it up, but I'll find it and I'll put it in the um, yeah on the Tumblr. Yeah, because it's like all of the something she album covers, the Becky something album she did with the Acre Girls, all the Acre Girls albums, all the Zelda albums, the album that Allie d- does with her fiance by the end of the movie, like all of this <laughs> stuff. It's all there's just album covers for all of it. There's the there's a fake thirty three and a third cover for the big something she breakthrough album. Like it's mm-hmm. so much good stuff. It's somebody had a very good time doing all this. Okay. Even the Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, Blu-ray, which we both own a copy of, um, has, like, that artwork in it, too. Yeah. And it's just, like... Yeah. It's it's bespoke in a way that's not annoying. Yes. In a way that some yes. of the, like, merch stuff that happens now to help, like... You know, I love the inventiveness of it, but, like... Yeah. It can feel annoying and cynical at a certain point. Some You're about to make fun of A24 tote bags, aren't you? Aren't you? No. <laughs> I can't make fun of A24 too much because, like, You're this the probably You're would the have been a demo. movie that would have done better if they would have picked it up. And, like, well, Alex Ross Perry has talked about how yeah. this movie, after it premiered, I think the word that he used was silence. Yes. You know, and they had all of those, they had all of the distributors that could have gotten more eyeballs on this thing see the movie and they didn't here's the problem go for it with a movie like this is there are audiences out there that are willing to put up with unsettling off-putting i don't know i don't want to trigger you here but you know what i mean unsettling not movies that aren't going to make you feel super great the problem is and and like a24 has helped cultivate the audience for those movies the problem is almost all of those movies are horror movies actual horror movies this is a movie that kind of like borrows some from like horror aesthetics but is ultimately you're never going to be able to and you wouldn't want to fool anybody into thinking like this is a horror movie so it's a, it's instead a movie about a rock band and a you know a drug addict and somebody who's you know, it's there's less of a hook. And I think A24 has been good at finding audiences for movies like this. But I still feel like something like Her Smell is just going to be a harder sell. Because what you are asking for is the audience that would show up for a horror movie to show up and appreciate a movie that isn't horror. Do you know what I mean? And I think anybody I mean, who showed I up and right really... To call some of that out for the horror stuff but the thing about them I think is mostly that they are you know not, uh, they're very smart with marketing in that yeah. I think the way that they market things sometimes break down those barriers of entry not just to horror movies yeah. I also think they have a lot of good movies that they haven't done right by and then they totally. also try to like shove full garbage down our throats like the whale um yes but But i think like the audience who showed up to see midsommar in the theater would have appreciated her smell and like and i don't know whether they would have shown up to her smell because that's not like with something like midsommar 
you are at least being sold. It's all about known quantities, right? And it's all about promising mm-hmm. audiences that they will at least get that they will know what they're going to get out of a movie. And they're adventurous with horror because they might not know what kind of horror they are getting, but they know what horror movies are. And they know the emotional feeling they're going to get out of it. They're going to be scared. They're going to be freaked out. They're going to be, you know, they're going to enjoy it. They're going to be thrilled by it. And and that's the promise that you make to a horror audience. And that's why you can get audiences to movies that are original scripts and that are maybe a little bit weirder because those audiences are more willing to take that chance because they know that at the very least I know the the roller coaster that I'm going to be on. And mm-hmm. I think if you had said to those audiences, you would have to like sit them down one by one and be like the emotional roller coaster that you go on with a horror movie is going to be replicated in some way or another by her smell and you are going to get an experience out of watching this. Now it is not horror it is not, you know, what you are expecting, but like, but you, but you really have to almost like, mm-hmm. really like make a very detailed case. And ultimately, marketing is about quicker cases. You and gotta this be... got picked up by Gunpowder and Sky. That does not that, that I don't think they yeah. even exist anymore. Yeah, that didn't have that yeah type of yeah. you know funding to be able to put towards a movie like yeah. this you know like this this is a movie that would have had to have been handled with care and yeah. i think the people that could have yeah for reasons did not yeah. you know pick up this movie and alex ross perry is i think smart to talk about the like financial infrastructure of yeah what the movie world is like because it has kind of flattened in a way like there is no infrastructure for like an alt movie scene yeah anymore it doesn't exist yeah um and like even the art house that is like, true alt is a good way of describing like it anymore because like indie indie film has a connotation and, a, and an aesthetic and i think alex ross perry's movies are an even more of a notch further to the margins of that. And I think alt is probably Mm -hmm. a good way of describing them. Um, We have so much to do in terms of the 250th uh, extravaganza (laughs) stuff planned that like, I do want to though quickly, I want to talk about the Elizabeth Moss of it all, not just the Mm -hmm. performance, because we've talked about that, but sort of her as a, as a film and television star at this point in her career, when her smell comes along. So by this point, what I'm curious as to what, where you first sort of encountered Elizabeth Moss, because she was a kid in a couple of the movies that we've already covered. We talked about A Thousand Acres, and we've talked about Anywhere But Here, and she's, you know, she's not a major part of those movies, but she's a kid in those. She's in Girl Interrupted, which probably would have been the first time I'd seen her. I was going to say, Girl Interrupted and The West Wing both happen around the same year, and so... Uh, those were the two things that I first uh, came into uh, knowing Elizabeth Moss on screen. And it's like two, obviously two very different characters. She's, you know, she's got those scars and Girl Interrupted. She'd survived a fire, right? That's what... Uh, yes, I believe she's that character. And she's so sort of delicate and... Um, and she's on the West Wing. She's like the youngest of the three Bartlett siblings. She's by far the one who gets the most screen time. Um, to the point where like Annabeth Gish doesn't show up as, um, the oldest Bartlett daughter until like season five or something like that, season four or five. Um, and she has like she's the storyline. She's dating you know the president's uh assistant, and it's a whole thing. But she's you know she's really good. She sort of like grows up. 
you know, on that show, which is pretty cool. Um, and so by this point, by the time her spell comes along, she's been on Mad Men. She's like, everybody loves her performance on Mad Men, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. She's been nominated for a bunch of Emmys. She never won an Emmy for Mad Men, which is too bad. Um, nobody ever won an Emmy for Mad Men except for finally John Hamm in its last season. It was kind of, uh, uh, notorious for like getting all these nominations and winning best drama every year, but none of the actors ever won. Um, and then she's on the handmaid's tale, which like right show, right time, you know, premieres Mm -hmm. so soon after the Trump election, everybody is so on edge about what this, you know, what this all means and the misogyny of it all. And that show is still running, right? It's one more season to go. Yeah. She's about to get nominated for another Emmy for it. Like I guarantee you it's about to happen. Um, but I will say, I've said this before. Handmaid's Tale is one of those shows. You always wonder, like, are, what are the shows that, like, we are watching in our bubble? And what are the shows that everybody else is watching? Everybody yeah. else still does watch The Handmaid's Tale. And they will be like, boy, it's gotten really, really tough to watch. We'll be watching this, the last season. You know what I mean? Like, people have just sort of, <laughs> they need to see how it ends. And I get it. I get it. Um, um, so I was out after season two. I was like, you know, I, I get, get that it. too. I think I was out in season two. I don't know if I even made it to the end of season it, two. It, it, yeah, it, it got to be less. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was a show that was like drinking its own Kool-Aid in the, you know, space of it. But also yeah. I was just like, at the time I was like, I don't know if I can continue to consume sure. this Yeah, in the moment we are in. So she's on The Handmaid's Tale. She wins the Emmy in September of 2017. She had been on Top of the Lake. Uh, mm-hmm. She's in which she's in both of the seasons of Top of the Lake, right? Yes. She's the main character. 2013 and 2017. So 2017, she's in both The Handmaid's Tale and the second season of Top of the Lake. Um it since that Emmy. In 2018, she's in The Seagull, which is she's one of the more prominent roles. She is, I mean, talk about a uh, she's fantastic. Yeah. Purposefully unlikable character in that too. Like she is a sour patch kid in that movie. Um but <laughs> she's fun. I like her a lot in that movie. Um yeah. she's what, Masha? That's her I character? Think so. Yeah. Uh she's also very briefly in The Old Man and the Gun, which we've also talked about on this podcast. 2019, uh Her Smell hits theaters in the spring. She's in Us. We've talked about Us. This is our seventh Elizabeth Moss movie, by the way. We did a six timers last time. And then she's in The Kitchen, a movie we were both very excited for. We will eventually do it on this <sighs> podcast. Um, um Oh, The Kitchen. I was so excited. One of the so disappointments of my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, and then 2020, just before the pandemic hits, it's a lot of people's last pre-pandemic movie. Or was The Invisible Man the first movie that was released on? The, it was right uh, around it that was in that bath, batch of first movies, but it is a lot of people's last movie before lockdown. It, it did get a it did last, get a theatrical the release. Last. I yes, saw it, it on VOD, but it was like like it was probably still March when I saw it. Um, I really love it. I know you don't like it as much. Um, she elevates that movie. I don't think the movie's very good. She's also in the, um, oh, what's the filmmaker's name? Uh, Shirley. The, the, uh, oh, Josephine Decker. Josephine Decker. She's tremendous. In I keep Shirley. wanting to say Jennifer Kent. Shirley, yeah. which I, I think if, you know, that had not been, you know, trampled by the pandemic, I think that's a movie that would have had more of an imprint she's tremendous in it shirley's another movie where i just i think about shirley and all i see is elizabeth moss uh face elizabeth moss's face um sort of staring at the camera with her glasses on and being like like you know sizing you up with a (laughs) frown on her face like that's shirley 
Um, but then, since then, she's only ever been in film-wise. She has a very small role in The French Dispatch, although I kind of mm-hmm. love her in that. The um, it, the kind of moment of Elizabeth Moss will just show up and do your movie for three days and have, you yeah. know, two scenes. Yeah. And it seems like she's going to be, if not the love interest, then, like, second or third lead in Next Goal Wins, which is the Taika Waititi soccer movie that had to be shelved for various reasons, one of which was COVID, second of which was um, editing Army Hammer out of all of it and replacing him with Third of which uh, Taika Waititi also had to do a full press round and filming of a Marvel movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is, as you you mentioned when we were texting the other day, you're like, I think this is the last pre-COVID movie to come out. Like, this is... Yeah, like, COVID isn't over until next... Until we see Next Goal wins. It's going to be a tiff. I watched the trailer again today, and I have to tell you... I'm I'm a little excited to see it. I know like good, it's good. It's, I'm happy for the people that are happy to see this movie. I don't I've I fooled myself into thinking I don't like Taika Waititi and it's because I don't like his Thor movies and but like even Jojo Rabbit I liked more than a lot of the haters did. I didn't love it, but like a lot of people like bone deep despised that movie and I was like it's got its moments. Um and I really loved his earlier movies. I loved Wilder People and I loved what we do in the I think Ragnarok movie. rules, but yeah, like, I just I'm, I'm otherwise I do like, but I think the that the fact that you like Ragnarok, I think we just it it illustrates our approaches to the Marvel movies, where I like the story of it all, and you like when the movie ignores the story of it all. You know what I mean? Right. When like you you want to watch one little piece of it and not have to think about the other stuff, and I want the other stuff. So I am it's a soap opera to fan. Me that people complain that like Spider Verse or Dune are quote half a movie. Yeah, but then they're fine with any of these like interconnected Marvel movies that but are not a full story. <laughs> we really we are this this episode's going to go way too long. But like we, I I do think there is a reason for that. I think Marvel movies are more episodic than people give them credit for. I think most Marvel movies, even though people complain about that you have to watch till the end credits and then see where the next thing comes, and there are Easter eggs planted that won't hatch until the next one, but for the most part, most Marvel movies do like tell their own little story within the greater story. They Very rarely do you see a Marvel movie that just like ends on a cliffhanger. And I but think it's that cliffhanger thing. Engage with the full story to be able to sometimes even I agree. base level understand. I agree. I agree. But I think it's the it's, I think it's that cliffhanger ness that that makes people dissatisfied in terms of like I think it's the thing where you get to the end of Spider Verse Part One or across the Spider Verse Part One. And for me, at least, who was like only kind of, I loved the visuals of Spider-Verse, but the story was like, I thought the story was kind of unconscionably inside baseball with all the like, you know, um, the sacred canon or whatever. Um, But then you get to the end of the movie and I'm like, yeah, now it's the good part. The band's back together. We're going to have a fight. And they're like, boom, see you next movie. And I'm like, God damn it. Um, Dune is a little bit different where it's like going into Dune. I'm like... I disagree with people who say about this about Dune. Though maybe I don't, because maybe this... My major hang-up with the movie 
is this <laughs> that we're talking about, just in a different way. My major hang-up with that movie is Paul sucks. Paul is not an interesting character. There is no character development of Paul in that movie, and it's a huge hang-up. The, all of the character development happens in the second half of that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is why Dune, in the, the book Dune is one book. Like, that's why, that's the thing with dividing it into two, is you really are, and, and I... I imagine I there will be people who come out of for that movie that like yeah. Paul is suddenly having a fight. Like what? This yeah. makes like none of that. Pays well, the off last for me. thing that happens is like that's your answering the call fight essentially. You know what I mean? Like that is your like that fight is essentially supposed to like enter him into the movie. So yeah. Um, and I like Dune Part One, and I'm excited for Dune Part Two. But there is something I I don't disagree with you there, and that like, and I am a bigger Chalamet fan than a lot of people are. I think a lot of people tend to get frustrated with the um Oh, I think his performance the is hype I think of, the, of him. Yeah. Um, this has been our mainstream uh segue in this yeah. episode back to Lizzie Moss. Wait, so okay, um, but here's my thing about Elizabeth Moss is she just hasn't been in movies since 2020, since essentially Shirley. And well, we think that she's gone because she's on a, she's still on a TV show that we don't watch. That's why we think she's gone. Sure, but she was making that TV show all through 2018, 2019, 2020. You know what I mean? Like, and maybe she just didn't want to have to deal with overscheduling, and she was just like, "I right. won't do anything until you know." Yeah, maybe she's taking a back seat yeah. because she was so overworked. You know, because and she's going and doing a week on a movie set for a movie that she's not really in that much. Do you still think there exists the idea of people are TV stars? Some people are TV stars more than movie stars because people have said that about her. Where like she's so great on TV, she's such a like favorite on TV and then she's in movies and the movies that she's all in are either smaller or like the kitchen they don't really work and even in the kitchen she's not like the lead there I did have a thought watching this movie and it's it, it's maybe a trite simplistic thought but it is also true that if her smell was a mini series but had the same tonal quality had the same all of it no one would make the complaints that they make about this movie. No one would no one would say that. And it would be like one of the most treasured television performances ever. I think if her smell was a mini series, I think they would try and sell it like they sold the idol. Because they would Ew. Oh god. That's what I mean though. That's what I mean. I think <laughs> Rest in piss the idol. <laughs> um like Yeah. Ugh. I was listening to You Must Remember This earlier today, and they were talking about um Oh fuck. What was they mentioned she mentioned Barry Levinson and I can't remember in what context. Um but uh she said Barry Levinson, father of uh father of uh Sam Levinson. I know of, she got uh, I was like fuck yeah Karina that's of, awesome. Of, um well is it Barry also... Levinson almost made one of the movies that she's ta- that she talked yeah. about. Yes, that's what it was. It was in the Disclosure and uh last seduction. Yeah, episode. no it is D- Disclosure. Talk about a f- Fucking piece of uh, shit. Yeah. That was it that he sucks. almost made disclosure? Was that the deal? Okay. No, um, he did make disclosure. Oh, he did direct disclosure. He directed okay, disclosure. well then that's what the Disclosure, was about. Yeah. which by the way, has the same finale as Freddy's Dead. <laughs> like I did not know Wait, that. The one where they put it where he impales her. They on both a... go into virtual reality. <laughs> oh, the virtual reality. That's right. Um Oh no, it was it's the Jason movie where the guy tries to impale his corpse with a thing of rebar and then lightning strikes the rebar and it reanimates him. <laughs> Whoops. No, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. No, that is cool. Um, I didn't know whether that happened to Demi Moore at the end I of Disclosure. Yeah. Uh, 
this was the first week of no new you must remember this uh i'm sorry episodes the summer the summer break summer vacation because i i I was very up to date on it i was very rabid about it this week total vibes of feel like pure shit just won her back um cannot wait for the uh fall finale of yeah. uh, the Rock 90s miniseries or series basically. Before um, we exit the Elizabeth Moss discussion, she was essentially this movie uh, her smell didn't get a ton of awards attention even among the critics who loved it, but it uh she did get nominated for both an independent she really spirit needed, award like, a New York Critics Prize or something. She really well, the New York Critics that year went for Lupita, right? That was the year of us. Yes. yes. Which like perfect yeah. call, great call, did what they could for that performance. But I too. I of the two of that oh, there's both such good performances. I don't know. Right. That's the thing. Okay. Anyway. Um I well, probably would she, Lupita. She's indie spirit nominated, she's Gotham nominated, yes. which like those groups doing the right thing of, you know, making sure that she's in those lineups. The Indie Spirit one, like, and this is not a performance I really like to shit on in any way because I love Renee Zellweger, but Indie Spirit's giving the award to, I understand Judy is an independent movie. At least Judy is an independent movie. Guys, come on. I know, I know. It's very disappointing. Um, uh, Zellweger wins for Judy en route to the Oscar, other nominees were Alfre Woodard for Clemency, good nomination, Hong Chow for Driveways, a movie I still haven't seen, even though I really liked Andrew Ahn's Fire Island, so I want to go back and check that out. Uh, Karen Allen for a movie called Colwell that, like, God bless the Indie Spirit Awards for still having movies where I can go back and be like, never heard of it once in my life. She apparently plays a postal worker. Mm-hmm. Um kind of want to watch it now karen allen is a postal worker cool and then mary Kay place and diane which i'll always remember the year because it was the laura dern year because in the uh gay men's chorus singing to laura dern thing at the indie spirit awards they mentioned the title of the film diane uh as being inherently queer and they're not wrong But it's just like, this is what happens when your awards are voted upon by people who pay to vote for... This is uh, your bugaboo. Your this is like, this is what happens. Like the indie spirits are there to give awards to oh Alfre Woodard in Clemency or Mary Kay Place and Diane or Elizabeth Moss in her smell. What are we doing here? This One is of what these happens days, when you can pay to vote for an award show. You're gonna David Lynch style uh, buy a cow and put up a placard, and it's just gonna be like get paid award. Uh, get paid members out of film independent and and you are finally going to we can't have this conversation now but we're going to have a conversation about the paid awards voters for the golden globes which i think is maybe not the worst idea in the world but we'll talk about it um some other time gotham awards but wait i uh, want to say about the gotham awards because you are irked as am i that Renee Zellweger for Judy wins the Independent Spirit Award. I'm kind of similarly irked that of all the nominees of the at the Gotham Awards, that they gave it to Aquafina for The Farewell. The Farewell is a good movie. Aquafina is good in The Farewell. Listen to who she's nominated against, though. It's Elizabeth Moss and Her Smell, Alfre Woodard and Clemency, Mary Kay Place and Diane, and Florence Pugh and Midsommar. 
Every single one of those performances is better than Aquafina in The Farewell. And the Gotham Awards are supposed to know better. They're the, supposed to be... They're juried. They're juried. Yeah. Everybody's smarter than me. And, like, they all know better. And they have, like, this exquisite taste. And they're hoity-toity. And they all are... And whatever. And it's like, well, then pick a better winner than Aquafina in The Farewell. Then. I don't mind hoity-toity. I don't use that as pejorative. Um, I don't either, usually. But the Gotham... The Gotham voters think their shit don't stink sometimes. And, like, I don't know. Um, this is not a great... This is not a great win. I will say it. <laughs> it's not how I would vote. It's not it's, how I would vote. It's not how I would vote. I like if I had four votes, quite I wouldn't have gotten that. Yeah. yeah not it's a, a very movie good that movie. at this point in my life, I want to revisit because I was disheveled leaving that theater. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. pressing buttons that I don't love to have pressed. Yeah. All um, right. Great All right. movie. Um, Elizabeth Moss, before we move on, I just want to say... Yes. To that two or three listeners who want to yell at us for loving her so much, we adhere to the Tara Ariano, you can like one Scientology fool, <laughs> and she's the one that I choose, and we're moving on. I do also like Juliette Lewis is the problem. Yeah, we'll, we'll Juliette do. Lewis is always the snag. For for people, it's like, yeah, but I just want to love Tom Cruise. It's like, yeah, but yeah. I no, 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 no. I don't know. Tom Cruise is not the, the Scientologist I'm breaking the rule for. It will be Juliette Lewis rocking out to Britney Spears in her car. That is why I will always love Julia <laughs> this. Um, all right. So 250 episodes, Chris. Every 50 episodes, we do some sort of extravaganza. And we nice have gotten... a way to look back at the year that we've had. Here's what I will say. This last batch of 50, from 201 to 250, we maybe have to get back into doing bad movies. Because we've done... A ton. This batch is a strong batch. I remember the last time I was kind of on, a, like, throwing my little awards to the same five or six movies. And in this one, I'm like, oh, I have, like, 15 movies that I could mm-hmm. put on a list. Like, my best actress list had to be whittled down from, like, 18 absolutely flawless performances. And it's right, like, God right. damn it. Well... I mean, I don't think we've broken format, but, like, we've definitely done in the no. past year... Better movies, and not necessarily better movies like they surprised us that they were good. Right, like movies that we uh, going let's, into it. Let's keep an eye on that, and I think for that the next some 50. of that is uh, indicative of our stress levels and our uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. schedules. Oh, let's just year. do away we go. It'll be nice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. right. Um, um, we make this promise to you. We will do more Dear Evan Hansen. We'll do more dog forward. shit. Um, yeah, 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 the yeah. episodes we have planned moving forward, uh, give us a few months to yes. get into that because we have, you know. Also, it's not, again, we don't, we're not that uh, calculating when we make our selections. We don't actually do like, oh, we got to do a movie we hate and then a movie we love. Sometimes it's fun to not know whether we will like or not like a movie. So, um, as this was the case with Everything is Illuminated, a movie that I thought I would not like and I ended up really liking. So that's always an interesting yeah. uh, case. All right. So, Where do we want to start? Because we do also have our fun multiple categories for supporting actress. Do we want to go that, that route? Do we want to start with our top 10? Let's, you want to start? Yeah, let's start from the top. That's an interesting, that's an interesting strategy. You know what? Why not? All Why? right. So I chose a top 10 you uh, uh, rather than a top five, sticking with sort of Oscar- um structures 
What would have been interesting, we haven't done Best Director because we were like, well, we'll just have the same thing. My, I did I did five Best Director nominees, and I do have one Lone Director. So, um, Oh, okay. Two Lone Directors, actually, because I rejiggered my list at the last second. Yes. Um, I my, don't have a Best Director list prepared. But, okay. Uh, well. I, I, I would love to hear yours. Okay. So my Best Director list is... Of the this is chosen from the last fifty movies that we have done on this podcast. I have Spike Lee for Twenty Fifth Hour. I have Sean Durkin for Martha Marcy May Marlene, Jordan Peele for Us, Kelly Reichardt for First Cow, and James Gray for The Lost City of Zed. Yeah, I probably would have had Spike Lee in there as a lone director as well. Well, I'm presuming Twenty Fifth Hour is. Not in your. It's not in mine, but okay. I might have had him as a lone director. What well. is your top ten films? All right, what let are me your give top you ten? this top ten. Okay, uh, f- in alphabetical order. That mine are as well. After hours, mm-hmm. first cow. Uh huh. Her smell. Uh huh. The lost city of Zed. Uh huh. Love is strange. Uh huh. Magic Mike Double XL. Uh huh. Mermaids. Uh huh. Private Life, uh-huh. Us, and Young Adult. We have five in common and five not in common, which I kind of love. That's, oh, that's okay. uh, half and Lay half. Lay it on me. My top ten are 25th Hour, uh, After Hours, Away We Go, First Cow, The Meddler, Mermaids, A Prairie Home Companion, Pride, Private Life, and us. Prairie Home Companion should maybe be in my top ten now that I'm thinking of it, but I probably I could also have that as a lone director. But like Lost City of Zed, Love is Strange, Her Smell, all were like on the periphery for me as well. So I also felt like my top ten, I was like I leaned hard into the advocacy. Yeah. Because like you know, Prairie Home Companion, I was like, there's plenty of fans of Prairie Home Companion. It's not yeah. revolutionary to call a Robert Altman film sure. great. But I think uh, I, let, I do think it's an equal standing of the movies in my top ten. When I was ultimately making my like tie breaking decisions, I was like, I'm just gonna put the movies that I like watching the best. Like this is my own little list. It's not gonna mean <laughs> anything. I don't have to publish it anywhere. I don't have to whatever. I'm just gonna put the movies that Gary's I like watching the best. Us. And so it's Mermaids and the Meddler and Prairie Home Companion and Pride and Away We Go, and that's just all there is to it. And um with some stuff like I'm glad I put After Hours in there, which is like a new fave, which I had never seen before, and you know everybody grab that Criterion when it comes out. Yeah. Um. All right. So why don't you lead us off then with Best Actor? Yeah. Let's just burn off Best Actor. No one cares about the men. Who cares? I like. I have. I like my lineup, though. I will say. I I I am a fan of this lineup. This this was maybe a tiny. I wouldn't say uncrackable, but like okay. it is close to it. Uh, Mr. Charles Hunnam for The Lost City of Zed. Uh-huh. John Magaro, First Cow. Uh-huh. Edward Norton, 25th Hour. Uh-huh. Ty Sheridan, Mud. Uh-huh. Channing Tatum, Magic Mike, Double Extra Large. Magic Michael. Uh, we match three of five. So I, too, have Charlie Hunnam. I, too, have John Magaro. And I, too, have Ty Sheridan. I also have, and Edward Norton was, like, a close six for me. Um, Billy Crudup for Stage Beauty, which remains one of my favorite performances. And then Robert Redford for The Old Man and the Gun. 
Great so such calls. a great calls. charming, charming. The old same man two that were uh, close for myself. Yes. Are we do? Do we do winners? Are we doing winners? No. You know what? I just like. Why not? Let the five. Let the five hang. This out. is a. This is for fam. This is a buffet. Everyone's family. It's here. just family here. Yes. Let's do supporting actor. You know. You just like get men. those. Get the men out of the. No way. one cares about men. All right. Um, my supporting actor ballot in order. This I think is a really like I have five runners up, but they're like kind of decidedly runner up. Um, Brian Cox in Twenty Fifth Hour. John Hawks in Martha Marcy May Marlene, Bob Hoskins in Mermaids, John Lithgow in Beatrice at Dinner, and Andrew Scott in Pride. This is a good lineup. Thank you. I know that you will understand the pain that it gives me <laughs> to have not put Bob Hoskins in this I, lineup, okay. But yeah. I knew you would come through. Thank you. So I felt fine doing it. Uh, I have yours? Winston Duke for Us. All of Winston Duke or just the thighs? I mean, if I had done special prizes, I didn't do special (laughs) prizes this year, but if I had. Um, John Hawks. John Hawks in mm -mm, mm -mm. (laughs) Orion Lee for his cow. Angus McFadden, the lost city of... Nice. And Alfred Molina in Love is Strange. He was a runner-up for me as well. Yes. We got to keep the the extra supporting actress uh, categories, but uh, we should maybe move these to gender neutral next year. We'll talk. We'll talk about we'll talk. it. We'll talk. Um, all right. Best lead actress was a war crime against me. To have to choose... I know. Only five. Why I almost suggested. I almost suggested that we break this one up into six categories, but ultimately, like, since there's only <laughs> one, there's mostly just one female lead per movie. Then we would just be like all choosing the same. Uh, I also suggested doing a top ten, but I said, you know what? This is a good ex. This is like to be this ruthless is a good. It's a good exercise. It's honestly me. a good place to be. You never want to have yeah this ballot be paltry. Because right. then it's just a bad state of affairs. Oh, mine is like, it's steel-plated. It really is just like, there's there's no fucking with it. Okay. Um, in alphabetical order, I'm now realizing I have three from the same year, or no, well, anyway, um, maybe three from within two years. Uh, Catherine Hahn for Private Life. Elizabeth Moss for Her Smell. Lupita Nyong'o for Us. Susan Sarandon for The Meddler, and Charlize Theron for Young Adult. Yes, that means that I have left off both leads for Mermaids. I need you to know I, I am you were physically pained by that. I I removed those easily because I was like, well, Joe's going to vote for those. I really wanted Though, to. We'll get them in there. I really wanted to, but like my it's two advocacy picks, though I'm I'm glad that we don't. Oh, well, not that I'm glad that we don't. I I figured maybe they wouldn't be there for you, but I needed them okay. to show up, and they're the two off the top, and then we have three overlap. Salma Hayek, Beatrice at dinner was very close. Godmother me. of this podcast, she has to be there. She's on the list right after the two mermaids leads, uh, and then Diane Lane for a walk in the moon. Very the one of the ones that like not a discovery because it was in the conversation, but one sure. of the ones that I just like felt very yeah good about like adding that to the repertoire yeah this 
past year in the show. Yeah. And then uh, Lizzie Moss for Smell, Lupita Nyong'o for Us, and Charlize Theron, Young Adult. I'm realizing now that Private Life is 2018 because, of course, the roundtable that Catherine Hahn and Rachel mm-hmm. Weisz uh, pawed at each other were uh, Rachel Weisz for The Favorite, which is 2018. Okay. Um, I mean, that's a really good list, Chris. Good list. Yeah. <laughs> a list good enough to make me be like, you know what? It's good that we're not picking winners because that would be brutal. I'm saying. I'm saying. I'm saying uh, my list just the long list went on and on and on. Like uh, I need to send an apology note to Joan Allen and Jennifer Lopez and Carrie Russell. Okay. Um, best supporting actress normal. Okay. Supporting actress. Let's do supporting actress normal last. Okay. Okay. So to remind you of our one, our, we have supporting actress normal and then five weirdo supporting actress categories. They are best supporting actress. Cameo, Best Supporting Actress, Character Name, Best Supporting Actress, Hair and Makeup, Best Supporting Actress, Line Reading, and Best Movie that had that best lineup uh, of supporting actresses that you could all be from one movie. Yes. So one movie, five nominees. Let's start with that one, because you and I did this, defined this differently last time, and I wonder, and I can't remember which way we were different, so I wonder if we maybe did it again. The last time, I think I was You came up with five movies. and confusion. Yeah. Because I I was like, well, I want to have, I want to spread the love, and I never want to have any overlap. That is not true of me this year. Oh, I I have no overlap. Maybe depending on your vantage point, I am bringing chaos and confusion because I am allowing overlap. Okay. So what is your one movie that has five supporting actresses in it that are deserving of nomination? Uh, I'm just saying general. I didn't even think like, well, they have to have at least five or whatever. My lineup for Best Supporting Actress lineup, all of the supporting actresses in the film. Oh, see, this is what we did last time. We've defined this this category differently than each other, and it's very funny that we did it again. Okay. You know what? It's it's fine. No rules. There are no rules. Okay. The supporting actress cast. Okay. I have chosen, after hours, Beatriz at dinner, her smell, obviously. Yes. The meddler and a prairie home companion. All very good and worthy. Okay, so what I have done is chosen a lineup of five supporting actresses that all come from one movie. So it's five, just five women. So my movie is A Prairie Home Companion. And from that, my lineup is Meryl Streep, Lily Tomlin, Lindsay Lohan, Virginia Madsen, and Geraldine Steele. And so with apologies to Maya Rudolph, who was also very funny in that movie, and... uh. Mary Louise Burke. Mary Louise Burke? Yeah, as yes. the lunch lady. As the lunch lady. If um, I was doing that, I would have picked her smell. Okay. Best Supporting Actress Cameo. Best Supporting Actress Cameo. Why don't All I right. start, since you started with the last one? Yes, okay. give, a, give us what Al- you have. Alphabetical order, I have. Now, we're defining Cameo as one scene. Sure. Or, you know what I mean? One, like... All right, all right. Here's I'm going to put it up to you. Does Maria I, I'm Dizia? I'm stretching it a little bit with one, but like, does Maria Dizia and Martha Marcy May Marlene count? Yeah, sure. Okay. okay. Then I'm saying Maria Dizia and Martha Marcy May Marlene, Carmen and Jogo in Away We Go, Lily Gladstone in First Cow, Lindsay Moser in Magic Mike Double XL. Lindsay Moser, you the, fucker! 
I thought I would be the fucking cool one saying that. Fuck you. <laughs> and Colette Wolf in Young Adult. Who do you have, Chris? Well, my punchline was going to be Lindsay Moser as Mini Mark Cashier <laughs> in Magic Mike Double XL. So fuck you. <laughs> um, uh, we, I, you know what? No, great. She deserves it. Love she that does overlap it. from both of us. Yes. Um, I have. Yes. Melanie Linsky. Away we go. Beautiful. I have Lily Gladstone. First cow. Nice. Alia Shawcat. First cow. Nice. And the baby at the bar, probably first cow. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. I will say, uh, close six for me was Kate Burton in Where'd You Go, Bernadette? I did love her uh, in yeah. that one scene in that. Okay. Best supporting actress, hair and makeup. You go right. first. I have. Yes. Glenn Close, Mary Riley. Yes. Glenn, sorry, let me take that back. Glenn Close, Mary Riley. There we go. Constance Marie, Selena. Sienna Miller, The Lost City of Zed. Nice. Julianne Moore, Wonderstruck. Nice. And Michelle Pfeiffer, Wig Reveal, Murder on the Orient. <laughs> That's a great one. Um, we overlap twice. So um, I think we've done a good job there. I have... Glenn Close, Mary Riley. Um, the 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 Tammy Brown lip on her is is enough to get her uh, in Exquisite. and of itself. Mwah. It's so good. Uh, Glenn Close and Mary Riley. Uh, Linda Fiorentino in After Hours. Good call. Maggie Gyllenhaal in Away We Go, which is also wardrobe. <laughs> That's just like a nomination for jewelry. <laughs> it's also wardrobe, but it also like I genuinely feel like just the whole look of her in general is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Constance Marie in Selena and Faye Marseille in Pride as Steph in Pride. Um, Great call. With her little punk look. Um, All right. Best Supporting Actress, character name, who do you have? Uh, I have Penelope Cruz as Pilar Estravados, Murder on the Orient Express. That's a good one. Amber Heard (laughs) as Zelda Ezekiel, Her Smell. Mary Beth Hurt as Jan Slade in Young Adult. <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee as Selena St. George. Dolores Claiborne. I almost had that, yes. And the kicker, Virginia Madsen as Dangerous Woman in A Prairie Home Companion. Okay, that's very funny. Basically, I just picked characters that are perfect drag names. Yes. Yeah. Please welcome right. to the stage, Dangerous Woman. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right. My five. That's a fantastic lineup. First, what is Mary Beth Hurts again? Jan Slade. Jan Slade. <laughs> that's great. What a great Minnesota name. Okay. Um, Agnes Dane in Her Smell as Marielle Hell. Uh, Virginia Madsen in Her Smell as Anya Adamchik. I think it's mostly just in the way that Elizabeth Moss says it. Sure. sure. Anya Adamchik. Um... Rosario Dawson in 25th Hour as Naturel Rivera, which is just exquisite. Evan Rachel Wood in The Upside of Anger as Popeye. And Alicia Witt in The Upside of Anger as Hadley Wadley. Uh, (laughs) You have to use the nickname there. But uh, yes. All right. Line readings. Line readings. All right. Give us yours. I'll go first. Okay. 
I have some good line readings. There was some competition here. Um, I wonder, I'm very curious to see if we have any overlap. Mine are Tova Felchu for A Walk on the Moon when she says, It's the stupidest goddamn tradition. After she slaps her granddaughter after she has her period. Judy Parfit in Dolores Claiborne. An accident, Dolores, can be an unhappy woman's best friend. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith in Magic Mike XXL. Do you mind if I refer to you all as queens? <laughs> Mena Trussler in Pride. Where are my lesbians? Where are my lesbians? Uh, and Emma Watson in The Bling Ring. I want to rob. Oh, God, I should have put Emma Watson for... I could be a president of a small country someday, for all I know. For all I know. Uh, <laughs> the, I mean, like, I went basic with this, uh, With this, I think. Um, though, like, uh, th- this is the category that I always wish we have no overlap, and we have two overlap. Do we really? Well, I mean, yes. there are some really, really, like, demanding of attention ones I here. mean, yes. Uh, yeah. And the first of which is Judy Parfit saying an act. Accident Dolores can be an unhappy woman's best friend. Yeah. Uh, Mena Trussler in Pride, where are my lesbians? Yes. Uh, and I, I, I bring in chaos and confusion. I have double Mena Trussler in Pride. Die! Your gays have arrived! <laughs> uh, I mean, the queen. She had to be in here more than once. Um, Molly Shannon's bagel order in private life. I almost have that! Yes! Molly and an everything bagel and get me a half a pound of wild no no get me a half quarter pound of wild nova. Uh and for Selena, the actress who yells I also had as runners up uh Elizabeth Moss in Us, it's vodka clock. Yeah. And uh, Glenn Close in Mary Riley. My answer's always yes. <laughs> all right. I almost put Glenn Close in Mary Riley. Gobbledygook. Yeah, well, all of that. Um, the other quote I wrote down for her was, I'll say this for Henry Jekyll. He may ask for a few special services, but he doesn't mind paying top whack. <laughs> I need to be, I need to be, rather than, Doing this as preparation for this episode, I need to be keeping a list of these things I know, I know. throughout the year. I, I say that positive every I said year. This last time, all right. Positive. Now the big event, the most the five category. So I had no overlap in anything. So all of the other people that I have mentioned were ineligible for best supporting actress, and I still have a banger lineup. I will say. So my top five supporting actresses are in Do alphabetical it. order: Connie Britton. In Beatrice at Dinner, Kaylee Carter in Private Life, Terry Garr in After Hours, Sissy Spacek in The Old Man and the Gun, and Marissa Tomei in Love is Strange. This lineup rules. Yeah, we have one overlap. Yes! I'm so happy about the one that overlaps. Okay. I thought we weren't going to have any, and I was like, yes! Okay. Um, but the one that we overlap on, I would not have predicted it, but like, ooh, it's so good. It, I love that we have... Anyway, yeah. anyway, anyway. My lineup, and I'm being serious, dead serious. Okay. My lineup. Yeah. Glenn Close, Mary, Ooh, Riley. Oh my god, I love this. I She's love so it. so good. I love it. 
understands the assignment in a way that nobody understands the fucking assignment of that movie. It's true. The ironic thing is, by the way, I mentioned the Tammy Brown lip. I recently watched uh, Sunset Boulevard for the first time, and so now I realize that Tammy Brown's whole face is, uh, is the, is fucking Sunset Boulevard. Like, it absolutely, (laughs) like, that's what she pulled it from. Um, Sunset Boulevard is, like, I mean... Listen to me. Good. Sunset Boulevard. Good movie. Like, shut up. Um, okay, but also, it's worth saying because idiots like me have only just seen it for the first time this week. So, um, but yeah, the, uh, the, oh my God, it's, what? I, I said in my letterbox review, and this is be- me being just a shitty asshole, but I'm like, you dare to fucking stand Megan this year when like fucking... That performance exists, like Gloria Swanson in in Sunset Boulevard. Are you fucking kidding me? So, whatever. Um, all right, continue. It's not the pictures that have gotten small. It's the dolls that have gotten big. 100%. Um, anyway, Glenn Close. Mary Riley. Yes. Sienna Miller, Lost City of Zed. Good pick. Jada Pinkett Smith. Magic Mike double. When you didn't have her for line reading, I was like, okay, she's in your main lineup. Yeah. 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 Spread the love. Yeah. Um, Because you could put so many, so many lines. Yeah. Um, Our overlap, Sissy Spacek, the old man and the That is an unexpected overlap, but yes. What a beautiful overlap. She's great. Yeah. And then Colette Wolf, young adult. That's a good one. You put I, her in cameo, and she's in like three or four scenes, my friend. But she's in only one scene where she does it's, much it's of anything. It's the one scene that, that she's she's in it less than Melanie Linsky is in Away We Go. I would say there are gray areas. No. Yeah. To anyway, see. Melanie Linsky's in the whole scene where they're at the house, and then they're pouring syrup on top of the playing cards, and then she's doing the pole dancing. Like that's a lot. She's in a lot of that. Anyway, anyway. Um. I was very, very torn between Terry Garr and Catherine O'Hara in After Hours, like trying to parse out all of the After Hours supporting actresses. For as much as it's so funny, we did we talk about this when we had Mitchell on for that episode about how for all this talk of and not always, well, whatever, I don't want to get into Scorsese dialogue, um, but Scorsese, 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 uh, you know, writing roles for women or not writing roles for women or whatever. Like, After Hours is packed with supporting actresses in a way that, like, we love. Like, we love those kind of movies. And, like, he hasn't really done it since. Where and it's on those characters' side. Yeah. Usually it's, like, one prominent female role. Um, but, yeah. God. I know that this is the cliche rebuttal to that level of discorsese, but, like, just, will you fucking idiots watch... Alice doesn't live here anymore. Like, okay. I mean, they are idiots. It's amazing movie. They are idiots. But to be fair, Alice doesn't live here anymore was 1974. So like, it's been fine a, wa- a while. It's been, but, a, it's like, been a minute. I don't think that even though, yes, it is one movie that is 30 years, 40 yeah. years old at this yeah. point. I don't think that the art, it, it, I also kind of don't of care. that movie, even though it is only one movie that is not a new movie, I think it collapses. I also kind of don't care. Martin Scorsese makes movies about men, and Nicole Holof Center makes movies about women, and I'm fine with both of it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need, I don't need it to be as, you know, demographically 
egalitarian as some people I do. Think anyway, I, I can I can vibe with that. Um, good ballot for our two fiftieth, Chris. Good job. We've done it again. Um, I want to go through my last remaining notes on her smell, most of which are random cast members. Uh, I caught, I thought I had caught Jesse Pinnock in the very beginning of the movie as some sort of assistant or whatever, and it was Jesse right. Pinnock from Princess Sid. What's her name? Mari's girlfriend in the movie, I don't know if you caught this, is the cult chick from The Invitation, the one who shows up at the at the house rad, and rad. is so fucking terrifying. And was there one more sort of small role? Maybe not. But those two, at the very least, I was like, oh, shit. Um, the end credits are fantastic. The Runaways song, mm-hmm. I loved. Um, <laughs> there's a point in the movie, and I can't remember which scene it is, where Cara Delevingne's character is just sort of pawing at Dan's face. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, yes, I would do that as well. Um, Dirtbag Danny, I fucking love him. Um, Cara Delevingne getting second billing. Second billing. What What do you make of it? Do you just feel like she was a name that they really needed, and so they like her I mean, agent at the moment too? It's pot. I mean, like, you you wonder if maybe that was partly where like funding came from. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think Cara Delevingne's good in this movie. I do too, but she's not the second most prominent. No, character, even if you movie. take into account, like it's not the, even Dan Stevens, right? Like, it, like if you're talking about in terms of like prominence, it's it's Agnes Elizabeth Dane. Moss, Agnes Dane, Dan Stevens, Gal Rankin, like those are your top four. Um, yeah, and then Stoltz gets the deserved uh, with one of the withs. Uh, Stoltz is good in this movie too. I will say, like he's just that perfect level of like he's been putting up with he, this for so gets, long uh, that he can't uh, really... possibly get like he doesn't get loud or angry he's just sort of like my financial future rides on this absolute lunatic so this is my life (laughs) um he's great he's so good all right christopher 250 episodes wouldn't have rather do it with anybody else we're gonna keep doing for as long as till the wheels fall off on this thing thank you for being here with me (laughs) absolutely and happy birthday once again i'm glad we could record this on your birthday now go on vacation you um (laughs) 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 all right uh and listeners once again oh we're gonna play the mdb game don't worry but once again uh, uh, of course well we'll do the patreon thing after the let me do my final summations oh yes no what you uh, don't besides, want me to just you know bowl over you and just like keep on talking, talking, talking? That's fine. Jesus, um, <laughs> listener, cyberbully him. Two hundred and fifty episodes, and we haven't worked this out yet. By the way, so. <laughs> um, you know what? Good movie. Um, also, I think you know this is not to shit on Tiff. We love Tiff here. Of course, we do. It is a massive lineup ocean coming out barge soon, of a festival. What? Uh, lineup line coming out soon. I know. How exciting. Yeah. Um, it was not the place to premiere this movie. Yeah, probably not. It it's This is a South it's, by. Okay, let me read this to you. Because I pulled up the schedule because, you know, rereading the whole, uh, that piece uh, where uh, Alex Ross Perry talks about the just like, financial state for a movie yeah. like this. Yeah. And talking about the non-response that they received in terms of distribution. Yeah. Tiff can be a hard place to be a movie to without sell. distribution. Right. Yeah. 
These are the movies that it premiered against. As in, these movies were doing their TIFF premiere. That same day. Not just the same day. The same time. Yeah. The same time slot. A Star is Born, If Beale Street Could Talk, yeah, and then Laszlo Nemesh's Sunset, which was a not good movie. Sure, but sure. the follow-up to Son of Saul, where it's like, so maybe where the did artier her world smell cinema-minded people will go to that movie, too. It's like, who, who like, even just as a festival goer, yeah. like, there's a lot of competition in that time slot. And then yeah. also that night, uh, uh, Claire Denis' High Life uh, right. had its world premiere. So it's wow. like, yeah, for a movie like this, that doesn't have distribution, that all those other movies had you know, distribution with marketing plans and such behind right. it to get people hyped up for it. Like, yeah, yeah. I think this movie, especially for a movie that we've talked at length about how this is a movie that needed to be handled with care. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, for that to be, it's, I mean, like, I don't know if I have an alternative for a better launch pad for this movie. Right. Like, I don't know if this movie would have been better to launch at, like, Sundance or even New York Festival, where, you know, it went to New York and it went to South it By. It does feel like it's a, like, but South By, it was later, right? It was, by the time it was South By, it was already gone through months and months of these mm-hmm. other festivals. It feels like a South By premiere might have been more exciting. I mean, I don't think Alex Ross Perry has ever had, like, a can connection, but maybe, like, can right. even in, like, Director's Fortnight or something, sure, might have sure, been sure, sure, sure. more hospitable yeah. for a movie that is, finger quotes, difficult. Right, But, right. like, you do really feel for the team behind this movie that, like, takes some huge creative leaps, and, like, Elizabeth Moss, who's, like, yeah. putting her whole ass into this movie. Even, like, like, yeah, like, a Sundance thing isn't a bad idea for this, you I, know what I, I mean? I don't know like, if this is a Sundance movie either, though. Like, I think sometimes at Sundance, though, everything is so glum that, like, something with this kind of energy really has a chance to stand out. Maybe, but, like, I don't really see Sundance as a place where a difficult, rigorous movie like this does well. Unless it's a genre movie, like a horror movie. Yeah, that's a good point. But, but yeah, you know, I mean, we talked about it. It's part of the reason, I think, why people like us who love this movie really, really stumped for it. And, like, you know, Alex Ross Berry also did a full, like, open letter of consider Elizabeth Moss for a best yeah. actress this year, you know, yeah. which, like, was also winking of, like, and we know that there's not really much of a shot. But, like, at the critical level for us, I think, you know, there was, like, it yeah. may not have been, like, it may have been more of a ploy to, like, and, like, it was in the conversation because of critics like us, but, like, it yeah. was a ploy to get like New York, LA film yeah. critics and such to. Well, and also when your movie opens in April and is a festival holdover from the year before, it takes a lot more of a concerted effort to like reach mm-hmm. back and remember because you've had a whole other year of other movies that have, you know, that are competing for your advocacy as well. And. You know, you look, I mean, we talked about Lupita Nyongo getting the New York Film Critics Prize because, like, by that point, you know, other other performances in other films are also, you know, also have critical champions. And 
you know, there's only one prize for New York Film Festival. There's or New York Film Critics. There's only one prize in LA, and you know, we that was the year where we kept being like, "Can somebody please give an award to Alfre Woodard?" And it's like mm-hmm. there was, and and Florence Pugh and Midsommar was that year. Like there were so there was a lot of those lone wolf, I'm going to be the one to support this thing, performances that year in particular, Diane, uh, or uh, Mary Kay Place and Diane as well, um, that, you know, none of those performances were going to get Oscar. Alfre could and should have, but Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you were just sort of, you wanted to be the voice in the wilderness sort of shouting for this uh, this one performance, but that's a lot of different, you know, performances to shout about in one year, which is in one way, good, we have all these like this bounty of great performances and great movies, but on another level, it's frustrating because you want them to get more of a of a you know more of their due than they're getting. Yeah. All right, Chris, we're going to play the IMDb game for the two hundred and fiftieth time. Would you like to remind our listeners what the game is? Uh, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to get the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a C-L-U-E. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Sorry. That's the IMDb game. All right, Chris, which would you like to do? Give first or guess first? Uh, why don't I give first? All right. Since I decided to be diabolical-ish. Okay. Um, I went into the Lizzie Moss co-star uh, background. We talked a little bit about her performance on Mad Men. Yes. Who from Mad Men did I choose for you? None other than January Jones. Oh. First month of the year, Jones. Or as uh, one of uh, my favorite tweets ever from my friend, Ken Greller, January 6th, Jones. Oh no. <laughs> is that a is that a thing we know about January? Oh no 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 oh, okay. no. It's just a it's just a pun oh, okay. that's stupid and wonderful. Okay, all right. We love stupid puns. Okay. Um any television? I say There's hopefully one television. Oh thank God. Mad Men. Mad Men. Okay. You know uh who's known for Mad Men is not on? Elizabeth Moss. Well, she's done a lot of other things. Um uh, her Mad Men is still would not tell you that. Yeah, well, okay. Um X-Men First Class. Correct. She's so far down the cast list in this, but it's also one of her bigger movies, so I'm going to guess Love Actually. Incorrect. Okay. All right, now what else has January Jones done (laughs) is the question. Remember when I said this was diabolical? I know, you're an asshole. Um, What other things? It's not because, like, she's never been, like, the girlfriend in a movie or like the love or interest in a movie. Oh, shut up. Okay. Um, was she in any of those movies when she was dating Sudeikis? Was she in like fucking seeing other people? Incorrect. Your years are 2004 and 2011. 2004. So before. Mad Men, but after Love Actually, is she? No, that wasn't that year. Two thousand. She. This is a sequel, and she's like not even the lead of the romantic pairing. Okay. 
it's a romantic it's a sequel with a romantic pairing in it. Is it I a think romantic it's a romantic prequel? Okay. Romantic sidequel. <laughs> okay. Uh but the the genre is a romance. Romantic yes. comedy, romantic drama, something yes. like that. Okay. Oh four. Fairly reviled whatever cool. Was the first one not really well liked either? Critically, no, but a massive. Oh, is it Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason? No. Fuck. This is like that enduring legacy movie. Enduring legacy movie? Like, uh, this movie has, like, everyone has seen this movie. Uh, Women of that time especially love this movie. It's an Oscar nominee. The sequel is or the original is? The original is. Everything you're describing to me is is Bridget Jones. <laughs> All of these clues pertain to Bridget Jones. Um, okay. Over a decade between movies. Like oh. 15 years between movies. So, er, so early Almost, 90s. Maybe even 20 years between movies. Late 80s even. Basically no connection between movies. <laughs> Fuck. But the, like, but the title is, it's like such and such too. Yes, such and such, colon, such and such. I think maybe the star of the original has a cameo in this, though I'm not seeing it immediately on IMDb, and I feel like that would be there. So the original was Oscar-nominated. Yes, Oscar-winning. In the late 80s. Yes. Oscar-winning below the line, but, like, I mean, this Oscar win, I mean, come on. Like, yes. Fuck. All right. An Oscar win that I would be positive you absolutely love. Fuck. Romantic... Best original song. Best original song in the late 80s. So there wasn't a working I don't know girl. If it's late 80s. There wasn't I a working girl, too. There wasn't a. Dir- oh, it's Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. Oh, my God. Yeah. All such those and clues such, colon, such and such. Yeah. Yes. January Jones is in Dirty Dancing Fan of Nights. Good to know. Good to know. Okay. Um, 2011, you say? 2011. This is not a franchise or sequel, but because of its star, you know, these all <laughs> these are all in a soup. So it might as well be a franchise. So it's like a Jason Statham movie? No. Vin Diesel movie? No. Uh, Bruce Even soupier. Willis. Even soupier. Not even, not even a stew. It's a full soup. You have broken out that, uh, not tenderizer. You've broken out that little stick thing that you stick in a pot with a bunch of ingredients in it, uh-huh. and you make a soup with it. This, this, this star at this point, their movies are all a soup of one thing, and you cannot tell them apart. Adam Sandler. Though so this is one I think made money. Okay. Comedy or, or action? Action. Okay. Um, was this person, like, more popular earlier on? I Is mean, this, like, arguably, a later stage? I, huh? Is this, like, a later career? Like, the things have just gone downhill? Definitely. Okay. Stallone. No. This is an Oscar nominee. Twenty eleven movie is an Oscar nominee. No, the the star is an Oscar nominee. In acting, yes. One time, yes. Okay. Action star though. 
in their later career. Oh, and, and it's, it's not all Stallone. a soup. That's all a soup. It's Acting all a soup. This, this is one of the ones that career. I think made money that doesn't have name branding. Oh, fuck. So this action star did have a franchise that the soup, I think, is just confusing the audience slash maybe they don't even care. Sure. This actor's movies are those movies. But... All right, Van Damme was never Oscar-nominated. Jackie Chan was never Oscar-nominated. Chuck Norris was never Oscar-nominated. Um, you need a higher pedigree. A higher pedigree. This is a prestige actor. But not like sensed. Tom Cruise, not like... No. Um... Older. Well, <laughs> Tom Cruise, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Um, not to okay. be ageist, but like, I, yeah. it, Tom Cruise would like you to believe that he is not in his 60s. Well, it's never going to happen. Um, Sorry, Diva. <laughs> we have a Diva down. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Tom Cruise needs this triage. Is, you know, uh, him, you know, flying off of a motorcycle. The descent is Diva down. So, prestige actor... Who has done action? Who's a prestige guy for action movies? You could argue that this is an actor who has lost that prestige because of this soup of action movies. Though, shows up in a prestige movie that we really like and have had to strangely be on the defensive about. Not Bruce Willis. No. Uh, Costner. Bruce Willis is an Oscar nominee. No, I know. Costner. No. Makes a lot of movies. A lot of movies <laughs> to the point that you do not oh, pay attention to them. Oh, it's Nicolas Cage. Jesus Christ. It's not Nicolas Cage. <laughs> My God. It's also, until this phase of this person's career, it was surprising that they only had one Oscar nomination. Harrison Ford. No. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Um, their one Oscar nomination was in lead actor for a movie that like ha- was never going to lose Best Picture. It won Best Picture. He was Oscar nominated for playing a titular role in a movie that was never going to lose Best Picture. And titular role. Um, Liam Neeson, Oscar Schindler. Correct. Jesus Christ. Fuck, you got there. Okay. God. Uh, so his 2011 movie, Taken, Hidden, Chosen, uh, <laughs> Bop It, Twist Bop It, it. Pull It. <laughs> uh, is it Not the one taken. with Diane Bopped, Kruger? Twisted. It's pulled. the one with Diane Kruger, right? It's um. Um, hold, please. We're like, as you can imagine, I have not seen this movie. It's all like mistaken identity. It does have Diane Kruger. Yeah, January it's like... Jones's third bill. Yeah, like, one of them is his wife, who's not really his wife, and one of them is... is Did um, you see this bullshit? No, I've just seen the trailer. Um, oh, okay. Uh, what game are we playing? IMDb game. What do we guess in the IMDb game? Identity. No. Name. Name. What is the category of thing we are guessing from? I don't know what you mean. In the IMDb game, we guess what an actor is... Known. 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 Unknown. Unknown. Christ in heaven. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god. I need You've electrolytes after that. Okay. You've earned this. All right. That's it? Am I done? Am I done, done. guessing January Jones? You're done. All right. I had a hard one and an easy one, and now I don't think the hard one is hard enough. So um, <laughs> I went into the filmography of Alex Ross Perry, and I wanted to pick an actor out of there, one who we haven't done before on the IMDb game, and partial because I was like, well, this is stupid. Um, it's an actress I love very much. One television role, three films. Her name is Mary Louise Parker. <gasps> we love her. Weeds. Yes. Three movie roles. Yes. I'm actually thinking you are trying to gag me by fried green tomatoes not being there. So I'm going to say red. Yes. Cool. Um... What was the one everyone was like, Mary Louise Parker is on one in this movie. Um, Semi-recently that people were like, what the fuck is Mary Louise Parker? <laughs> I forget what it is, but it's some bad movie. Um, I'm going to say Red 2. Fuck you, yes. <laughs> fuck you, I hate you. God. Um, we're going to end our 250th episode with me cursing you the fuck out. With me getting a perfect score on Mary Louise. If you get a perfect score on this, I will genuinely never speak to you ever again. Just so you know. (laughs) Just so you know. Podcast over. Patriot out the window. We're fucking done. Uh, mm, 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 mm. No, I can't stand by that. Try and get a perfect score. Well, it's got to be something stupid. That that's the problem is I shouldn't have warned you that it was stupid. I should have oh, I should oh, have I know what this I is. Should have I know what this you. is. I know what it's going to be and I'm going to get the perfect score that has eluded me for some time. Is it the Spiderwick Chronicles? No. Fuck off. It's not. It. No perfect score. Damn it. Eat it. Eat your failure. Fine, then I'm going to get the year, and I'm going to say fried green tomatoes. It's not fried green tomatoes. I should have lured you into a a false sense of security. I I made a mistake there. That was tactical. Your year is 2013. If it was going to be the Spiderwick Chronicles, I would have been so angry on her behalf. But, okay, so 2013. Yeah. Weeds is over. Yes, just. Um, Now that's going to really bug me, the one that whatever the performance was that people were like, she is bad in that movie. Um, maybe it's this. Um, I mean, at that point, she's not really starring in oscar movies. So it's not an oscar movie. Are you asking for clues? Yes. Yeah, I do have to give you clues. You gave me clues. Okay. Uh, not an oscar movie. Yeah. I don't think it's another... I don't know if she really did action movies besides The Reds. Um, (laughs) The Reds. That's when they show both of them together in an uncut version, and you just, like, you buy a ticket and you see The Reds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Warren Beatty um, preemptively (laughs) rolling in his grave. Um, uh, Okay, so is it... She's not in Ides of March, but I want to say, like, Ides of March, but that's also an Oscar nominee. Not Um, Ides of March. It is not an Oscar nominee. She's not on the poster. It's an action movie. Okay, so it is an action movie. Yeah. Um, I presume she is the woman or the ex-wife. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say you are almost certainly right. 
it's she's not in like a statham. Not it's, a statham. It's like I, it's the they're actual the two leads who are the ones on the poster are like actual actors. One of which is less so than the other one, but like um it's not like it's, you know, people who only do like people who are not known for action movies. Well, one so, of them, eh, one of them is. But like okay. you know, when you get it you'll understand like me. Um, is one of them Channing Tatum? No, but it's somebody who I think wants to be as cool as Channing Tatum, but he's not going to be able to do it. Interesting. Yeah. Noted. So this is probably not a franchise movie either. No, but I think it wanted to be. Mm. See, this is where I, this was the exact path I was going down. Because but in I was as much be as like, like every is it White House down. No, it wanted to be a fra- franchise. In as much as I think all of these movies kind of want to be a franchise. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was based on any kind of. Yeah, it's based on a comic book. Okay. Sit in time. No, uh, Justin Timberlake is not an actor. No, the 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 younger of the two stars in this though is more of an actor than Justin Timberlake, but is kind of I think people sort of feel about the both of them somewhat similarly. Mm, so mm, mm. it's too soon to be Chris Pratt. Yeah, it's not Chris Pratt. But it's kind of in the same bucket as Chris Pratt. Like, so like somebody who did an action movie and is kind of like a schmuck. Yeah. Like schmuck humor. Yeah. I don't think he's like, it's not one of, I think people would love to like have legitimate real life reasons to hate this person, but he's just sort of annoying in his, in his persona. And he's like gotten enough success that people are just like "Mm, this fucking guy. But it's not Dax Shepard. No, but like you're in the right milieu. He's just like more, but like more famous, makes much more money per movie. Ooh. Uh, ooh, ooh. I feel like if it was like Owen Wilson, you would be... Jared Butler. No. I was um, going to go with a bounty hunter. No. Um, Closer to Dax Shepard. Okay. In vibe. Uh, who... Like, but makes money. Like, yeah, his movies, his biggest hit movies have been like big blockbusters. Annoyingly, like, why do so many people like these movies ryan fucking reynolds 100 yes ryan um, reynolds uh, okay so ryan reynolds and someone else mary louise parker is in that movie 2013 this is pre-deadpool this is not oh god what action movie was he in um he's opposite the a much better actor who's slumming who I'm it. guessing is a woman no actor oh okay male actor Slumming it. Is this R.I.P.D.? It is R.I.P.D. Yes. <laughs> it's even worse than Spider-Wick Chronicles. It's worse than Spider-Wick Chronicles. It's worse than Red Sparrow, which is the one that you were trying to Absolutely think of. Absolutely no one is known for R.I.P.D. Uh-huh. except for Ryan Reynolds. And like, it's not on, I guarantee you it's not on Ryan Reynolds is known for, because uh, he's made much more money with other movies. Yes. Fucking. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Don't like him. R.I.P.D. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's... I was describing his, his oh, vibe 100%. Correctly. 100%. Yeah. You could not have given me better clues. All right. And I Insane. also see why you would be, like, podcast over Dement- if I got a perfect oh, score that yeah. had R.I.P.D. But that's a demented known for from Mary Louise Parker. She deserves so much better. That's like Jonah Hex showing up for Fassbender Fried Green Tomatoes. The Client. The West Angels in Angels America. in America. Come on, people. Fucking come on ridiculous 
<sighs> All right, Joe. Chris. Thank you for joining 250 us. episodes. It's been so much fun, and it's going to continue friend, to be I so. My I love you. Love you, too. Listeners, we love you. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for all of your enthusiasm for the show. It has not gone unnoticed, and we appreciate Truly. you very much for this very uh, uh, goofy endeavor that we do with this podcast. Yeah. We hope that you enjoy the Patreon and support it, and yes. we hope that it makes you happy that it's here, finally. Once we figure um, out uh, where social media is headed, we will we will be there. Um, we are for coming now, to you from the past as several social medias are fumbling to compete. With, I would say, in the with. midst of all of this chaos... Bookmark our Instagram. Like, like, just keep checking our Instagram. That'll yeah, be the Insta's more. It's not going anywhere. Our, our Twitter is also not going anywhere. I haven't. I think like, I, so many people are being like, "Well, that's it for Twitter. It's over." Like, no. Twitter's, I think Twitter's going to hang Twitter's around for win, a while, like, a little bit. It'll be a zombie, but it, like, we'll be on that zombie app for for a while. So, like, because keep, the thing is, the yeah. app itself functions in the way that we want it to. It's just run by the evil yeah. overlord of the moment. Like, yes. Yes. Anyway, you can find anyway, us. Thank you for your love and support. Thank you very much. Uh, we are hopefully giving uh, it back to you with episodes that you enjoy. And uh, if you choose to support the Patreon, we really greatly appreciate it. And yes, we will be plugging the Patreon you with love. Yeah, we'll be plugging our Patreon from uh, now until the foreseeable future. But once again, uh, if you want to sign up for the This Head Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance Patreon uh, membership, you can go to patreon.com slash this head Oscar Buzz. And do so. We'll see you there. Otherwise, you can find us on Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You can follow us on Twitter at head underscore Oscar underscore buzz and on Instagram at thisheadoscarbuzz. Christopher, where can the listeners find more of you if you should choose to direct them there? Uh, you can find me on whatever social apps, including <laughs> Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Uh, yeah, at this point, just keep, I'm going to still be on Twitter for a little bit while, a little while longer, so find me there, at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D as well. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. We would also like to thank Taylor Cole for his fantastic new theme song at the beginning and at the ends of episodes when we decide not to throw in little cheeky little... 30 second song drops every once in a while but otherwise taylor cole you rule we love you please remember listeners to rate like and review us on spotify apple podcasts google play stitcher wherever else you get podcasts a five-star review in particular really helps us out with apple podcast visibility so for the 250th time but certainly not the last go write something nice about us won't you that's all for this week but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz <laughs>